Good evening. Good to be back. We skip one week. It looks sometimes like a like a year. What we're we gonna do in four weeks when I go to Israel for a month? In another month? Huh? That will be boring, though. I was there three months ago. We have to catch up for the ten months I couldn't go for the for the COVID. But you know what? Who knows what's gonna happen? A wicked government took over. Corona started again now in Israel. They found 45 kids with uh, with Corona in one one class, one school. That means it could be hundreds by now, and we will see what's gonna be. Everything is precise as Hashem review and react. And the people don't get it. And that's what it is. That's we pay the price. Okay, this lecture will be Bezrat Hashem for the success in business of Elena Batroza, Mazal Batroza, and Zivuk for Asher, Arthur Ben Ela, and Esther to get married this year. And Refua, Hana, Bat Miriam, Michal, Mish. Uh, Michael, Misha, Ben, uh, Miriam, Chaim, Hillel, Ben, Rivka, Yafa, Diana, Bat, Esther, Ella, Mazal, Marina, Bat, Rosa, to get married this year, Bezrat Hashem, to her Zivug. Tov. As you know, yesterday, I, uh, a lot of people ask about the live broadcast. No more live broadcast. Until we're going to get the app to do live broadcast, there's not going to be Blinader live broadcast. We had too many technical issues. I got tired of it, so we'll just, people will watch it the day after. It's not the end of the world. Those who want to watch it live, let them come to the lecture. Uh, yesterday, I started to talk about the current situation for over an hour, about what's happening. And then I got into the parasha, speaking about the red cow, the significance of it. And today I would like to continue what I didn't have time yesterday to finish. As we know, when a, when a Jew goes on his way to commit a good deed, a mitzvah, the Satan, which is the evil inclination, is in charge of it. He comes and says, ah, what is so excited? It's a small mitzvah, big deal. It's much bigger mitzvah than this that you, you're so excited. Why are you so excited and running and well, what is this? It's the first time you ever do such thing? Why are you so excited? This is in your mind. All these thoughts that you have, who gives you these this ideas inside your mind? This is the Satan, the Yetzirah. So he say. What are you so fanatic? It's not even the uh, oraita, it's rabbinical. Why are you making such a big deal? You think you're such a tzaddik? So if a person overcomes this test and he runs anyway and do it, the Satan immediately changes his strategy. What does he do after? Once you already one, and you actually did the mitzvah. You committed the, the mitzvah. Then what does Satan say? The Satan comes and say, wow, 
You're so amazing. You're such a tzaddik. No one is like you. And you feel great. Ah, I'm the best. And you lose almost all the mitzvah. What? Pride. Why? Once you fall into the category of pride, Hashem can stand you. What good is the mitzvah if he got you to be proud of yourself? One way or the other, that's why we say, Vaser Satan milefanenu umacharenu. We pray to Hashem, remove the Satan from in front of us, ahead of us, and from behind us. Looks a little bit strange. We're not walking in reverse. Who cares if he's behind us? It's good. That means we're ahead. That doesn't mean physically that he's in front of us or behind us. It means before we actually do the right thing and after. Once you already did the right thing, now he has, on, he has one more shot to make you lose it. Make you feel great about yourself. I'll give you an example. I, I can give you an example from me this week. This week, commercial already? This week, I had a test like this and I fell. This is the ego that kills us from inside. You gotta fight it all the time. What was the test? The test was that uh, I was in a Sheva Brachot. And a friend of mine hosted all of us. And then he showed me one guy, one Yemenite guy. So you know him? I said, no. Yeah, a religious Yemenite guy. He made such and this guy, remember that guy? He made him Baal Tshuva. I said, it's not true. I made him Baal Tshuva. So I, I had a test. Should I even tell him or should I just let go? But the Satan is telling you, don't be an idiot. It's your credit. Why they steal your credit? <laughs> Plus, when I was about to win already, I was about to win, to be quiet. Let the Temani get the credit. But then the Satan told me, but they're all going to lose the great story behind it. When he sees, as I'm about to win the argument, immediately he pushed to me a second knife. What is it? But if you will be humble, how are they ever going to know the story, the Ashgacha of Hashem? Do you understand what happened? So that's when I say to him, I'm sorry, my friend. But let me tell you how it was. How it was. Remember that guy that used to read for us in the Torah 15 years ago? He moved to Israel, yes. One day he calls me up. He said, listen, I need you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Are you available? I said, what for? He said, I just sold my car to someone. And when I went to deliver the car, it was here in Monsi. I found eight Israeli secular guys laying in the living room like bombs. All of them with hair, ponytails do nothing from their life. They came from India, I don't know from where. I decided that now if Hashem made me sell the car to one of them, has to be a reason. So I told them I would like to bring someone to talk to you for an hour to prove to you that the Torah is divine. Would you agree? Now he, he gave them such a good deal on the car, <laughs> they were embarrassed to say no. 
So I said, okay, for that, I'm coming. So I went over there. They were all there, and I spoke there, and three of the eight became fully, fully orthodox, and one of them later became my chevruta, I was a genius. Now, this is the guy that he said that the Yemenite made him Baal Tshuva. So I said to him, when I met him, he had hair like this. He wore some kind of a sack like an Indian. You know those Indians, how they are in India? He had a necklace. You know how they make necklaces with melon seeds? Did you ever see those necklaces? Melon seeds look like very long and thin. They have a needle with a, with a string. They stick it in the middle, and another one, and another one, and they make a whole chain. And then they make a knot in the end, and they, and they wear it, all the hippies. Well, most of you were not alive when he was in style. In the 70s, you know, that's how they used to walk, with long hair. That's how I found him, laying in a mattress like a bum. And that's when I started to give them lectures, and I brought three of them to the yeshiva. And this is one of them. It's very interesting. I don't know what's the point here from Hashem. With this guy, it happened to me twice that someone was trying to steal the credit on him. Twice. This never happened before. Usually, uh, you hear this guy gives, steal the credit. Okay, now, this guy, about a few years ago, I have a Persian friend who's a diamond dealer. He kept telling me, I would like to take you to a friend of mine that I do business with, that he should help your cure of work. I told him a lot about you. I said to him, listen, I'll be honest with you, I never go to meetings with people, with these rich people, collect money. I, that's not the way I am. I'm not going to do it. He said, no, no, it's not, the, it's not like you come, you knock on his door begging for money. It's actual, an official, an official meeting. Uh, he already knows about you. You come to me and we walk to his office. What, who is this guy? He sells emeralds, he's very big. Rubies. I said, okay, if you insist, we'll go. I went to Manhattan, parked the car, cost me like almost a hundred bucks parking. I went up to his office. Mm -hmm. Finally, we ended up in the office of this rich guy. And I show him a little bit about my activity on a laptop and all that. Then he says to me, would you have a lecture in Manhattan? Usually, I don't have that many lectures in Manhattan. Maximum 10 a year. Maximum 10. Happened to have a lecture in Manhattan two days after. I said, yes, I actually will give a lecture in Upper West Side. Can I come see it? I said, of course. He said, where are you from? I said, from Muncie. He said, do you know this guy? I said, sure. I made him Baal Tshuva. <laughs> no. He said, not true. Like this, not true. I said, why not true? He said, he told me that that guy made him Baal Tshuva. I said, put him on the phone. Call him. This guy works for him now in Diamonds. After he left the yeshiva, he went to work for him as a salesman. He calls him up. He said, do you know someone named Mizrahi? He said, sure. He said, he said that he made you Baal Tshuva, but you told me that that one made you. I said, no, that one taught me in yeshiva already. But he made me Baal Tshuva. It's true. He got me from the apartment. He brought me to the yeshiva. Should I help him? The best investment in the world. You should help only to him. It's on speaker. How much he gave me? Half a penny, not even. Just wasted my time. 
But Hashem has his ways. About three months later, there was a Brit Milan great neck, fancy people. I went to the Brit Mila, and my friend, one of my main supporters of my yeshiva in Israel, come, I would like you to meet a dear friend of mine. Who? <laughs> that guy. Actually, when I was in his office, one achievement I had, I held in my hand 4.4 million dollars. <laughs> he had one pink ruby, 2.2 million dollars, and a setting, a lot of small rubies, 110,000 each. I calculated quick, said, so no, that's sold already. 4.4 million dollars. How many chances you have in, in your life to, to hold 4.4 million dollars in one hand? So anyway, when he, my friend bought him, he had to see, you know, I, I read body language. It's like he saw the devil. He was so embarrassed. So what did he do? From the shame. He pretended he doesn't know me. Uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> this time I also had Yetzirah to tell him, don't pretend. Tell him how you wasted my whole day coming to Manhattan, even the parking you didn't pay me. But I was quiet. I cooperated with the scam. That he pretend he doesn't know me. You understand? So that's it. So every day you have those tests. Who... who who donated that? You should not say me. I don't know. Who did that? I don't know. Who fixed the chairs? I, who cleaned the shul? I don't know. Who keeps bringing coffee all the time? Do you know? I have no idea. So now you may say, but you're not allowed to lie. The Torah says, okay, you should not lie. For being humbled, to get rid of pride, you can change. I don't know. Somebody in one of the yeshivot in Israel for 20 years were bringing, was bringing sugar every day. And, but he made sure no one is there in a coffee room, put the sugar every day, big sugar. Everyone was dying to know who keeps putting sugar here. <laughs> Until one time they caught him. But he, for 20 years he managed to hide himself. To do it without the person know who gives the sugar, without the people know. You're saying for donations, to feel good about the mitzvah, it's great. What, you should feel bad? No, of course you should feel good. But there is a difference between feel good and feel I'm the best. <laughs> no one is a tzaddik like me. I'm the greatest. That's already gava. Especially when it comes into action. The problem with Ga'avad is that the Torah said that Hashem cannot stand proud people that are proud only in their heart, not in words and in actions. Needless to say, when they walk around and show off and scream, I'm here, I'm here, look at my new suit, look at my new watch. That's already mental, mental case. We're talking someone that is dying to show off but he keeps it inside. That's already a criminal in the eyes of Hashem. He's committing a crime. Pride is a crime. So what do we see over here? That all of us commit those crimes. But it's a constant war. Everyone has something that he would like to show off with. One person is money. 
another person is nice clothes, another person is his brilliance, a, a woman could be her look. Everyone wants to show something that Hashem gave them. The main, the main test is, I have a lot to show, but I will not show anything. Just like the Rashash. You heard about the Rashash? 250 years ago, Rabbi Shalom Sharabi came from Yemen and started to serve tea and clean the shul and the yeshiva, pretending he's a janitor. In the meantime, this is all the Kabbalists over there, they learn Kabbalah, and they get stuck with questions that they don't know the answers. And at night, when they all go home, he writes the answers and he puts it in the book of the rabbi. The rabbi comes in the morning, he opens it, Eliyahu Navi was here. Who would know such an answer? Every day like this. The rabbi had a daughter, the Rosh Yeshiva, she was clever. She said, Eliyahu Navi, Eliyahu Navi, doesn't come so fast. Don't be naive. I'm going to find out who is this Eliyahu Navi. She slept in a, in a, in a yeshiva hiding. Soon she heard noise. She looked. She see after he finished cleaning, he looks around, he writes everything with a candle, you know. It was no electric 250 years ago. With a candle, he writes everything with a feather, writes everything and puts it right by the rabbi. She comes to her father, she says, you're not going to believe who answer you all the questions. Who? How do you know? I, I hid in a, in a yeshiva all night. In my own eyes I saw. Who? The janitor this Yemenite one who, who served tea and cleaned the bathroom. Ma, what are you talking about? He barely knows how to even to read. You don't believe me? Come tonight with me and see. They hid in the middle of the night. They caught him in the middle of the action. He came out. Rabbi Shalom, you pretend to be a nobody and you're the biggest Kabbalist in the world? They say he was reincarnation of the Arya Kadosh. The Ari say, if Hashem will give me permission, I will come back again to the world to help. And the Kabbalists believe that the Rashash is a neshama of the Ari. So he said to him, you are the biggest Kabbalist in the world and you, let, and you serve us tea and clean our dirt? As of now, I declare you as the new Rosh Yeshiva. One time I said, if it would happen today, you know what would happen? Let's describe what would happen today. Imagine yeshiva somewhere in the world of big Kabbalists and have a Rosh Yeshiva who built the yeshiva, who put his life into it, who went to collect money to build the place. Imagine now he finds out that the janitor is much bigger than him in Kabbalah. Meaning what he doesn't know, the cleaning guy knows everything. So because of the embarrassment that something like this is about to be discovered to the whole community, he would buy him a first class ticket directly to go back to Yemen. Not only that, I will help you to collect money to start your own yeshiva. As long as you're not going to be around here. Why? Because you, when you're around here, I look like a cubic zirconia compared to you. You're a diamond, what am I? But the rabbi over there was a real tzaddik. He said, wait a minute, I'm a Rosh Yeshiva and he's bigger than me and he's going to clean here. He immediately gave him the yeshiva. Immediately. 
But let's teach a little bit schut about this generation as well. I have a friend of mine, we learned together in yeshiva. He went to Israel, he learned a few years in a good yeshiva, became Talmud Chacham, opened himself a kolel. Opened the kolel. The kolel started to grow. He had a, a, at one point he had like 80 avrechim. I have 31, it's a big struggle to support it. He had 80 already. It's almost triple. You got to give each one of them $500 a month. 80, 80 avrechim, right there, salaries is 20,000, plus the place, the building. He can come to more than 25,000 a month, every month. So he comes to America to collect. He used to learn here with me, you know. He knows the community. So he comes here a few times a year. Every time he comes, he comes to me for a visit. Then he asks me, tell me, I don't understand. You sit here in America. Everywhere I go in Israel, every new Baal Tshuva that I speak to became religious from your lectures. How do you do it? I don't understand. How many times you come to Israel? He doesn't know Facebook, doesn't know YouTube. He knows Yeshiva. I said to him, I don't come that many times. It's all online. What's online? Tell me, what does it mean? I started to explain to him what it means, Facebook, YouTube, sharing. I said, you can do the same. So what do you mean I can do the same? I said, get a guy, young guy, get a camera. Let the guy that he knows a little bit about the, the media film you, cut your lectures to 10-minute se session, open your Facebook page, open your YouTube. People will start to share. Baruch Hashem, you're great. You'll become famous. Just like that. And how much it's going to cost me? Nothing. The guy will be volunteer. Facebook doesn't, back then, it wasn't like today. Today they choke you, they don't let you do anything. Back then you can go qu quick. And uh, YouTube doesn't cost, and people will share, and you start becoming famous. That's exactly what happened. He did it right away. A year later, he became very famous. Until today, he became one of the main speakers. So, so, listen now. He comes now to America, he leaves the kolel. When he leaves the kolel, he puts someone else to replace him. Another friend of mine, just made the, the, the bracha in a, in a chupa. Talmid Chacham used to be chevruta with the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Tzchak Yosef. So when the rabbi came to America, he asked the other Talmid Chacham to take over the kolel. Now the other Talmid Chacham is a dynamite. He has a brain faster than any computer you know. Every name you tell him, immediately calculates the gematria, which pasuk match your name. <laughs> you have to see this. You say a name, he right away gives you abbreviation of your name. This, he makes a pasuk that gives your name. So it's very interesting to be around him. It's full of Torah. Since it's very entertaining, people over there in a the, in the kolel, they started to like him more than the original one. So they said, wow, every time he goes to America, we get lucky to get this guy, right? They're both very good, but this one is extraordinary. So one guy in, in Monsi said to him, you're so naive. Why you ask him to replace you in yeshiva? Find someone regular. Why are you getting such a star? Soon they're going to kick you out, make a revolution over there and steal away your yeshiva. Now what are you supposed to answer now? 
Someone tells you a solid claim. People do things like this. You build something, someone come and steal it for you. It happens all the time. So he gives him an advice. Listen, it took you years to build the place until you finally made it work. Now they're going to say, oh, we like this guy more. What's going to happen? So you know what the answer? He says, so what, what's the problem? If that's what they will want one day, I will hand him the yeshiva as a gift. If, if Hashem will be happy and they will be happy, what do I care? The yeshiva will continue to run and everyone will be happy. That's a person that does Lashem Shamayim. That's it. He's already in a very high level already. Why? Because I'm not even a factor here. I will have it, I will not have it, I would lose it. What do I care? As long as the job gets done, Hashem is happy. If someone better than me will take over, I will be the first one to endorse it. But how many like this you know in the world today? How many? If you know another person that would give an answer like this, please tell me his name. I would like to go get a bracha from him. Urgently. And that's the problem of almost all of us. That first we think, what's in it for me? For me. Then if it works with Hashem, we kill two birds with one stone. But what happens if it's against Hashem's will? I come first. We don't really admit it. We won't dare to admit it. But the reality is Hashem knows exactly who you are. <laughs> you can't fool Hashem. You can be a great drama player. Oh my God, I'll give my life for Hashem. I remember one time, in one yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva told me, listen, I cannot anymore be in charge here. I have debt. I cannot get it to work. Here, take the yeshiva. It gives me the checkbook and the key. Everything you need, I'll transfer you all the information. You run it. I said to him, I don't have time to be here all day and take care of it. I'm traveling this. But maybe we should call that rabbi. He was actually looking to open a yeshiva. Maybe you give him the yeshiva. He has a lot of connection also. He will bring money and make the yeshiva grow. Would you agree? He said, oh, even better. I said, no problem, I'll talk to him. But what are you going to do? I asked him. After all, he makes a li he's living from there. He gets a salary. He said to me, I always had a dream to just take a stander and a gemara, sit somewhere and learn. I said, beautiful, but how are you going to make a living? you have any plan? <laughs> a large family like him? They need uh, at least $10,000 a month to survive here in America. So you have a plan? Don't worry about it. Don't you know all Parnassah come from Hashem? I love it very much when people tell me that. Oh, don't you know it's from Hashem? As soon as they have one struggle or one challenge, what happened to your beautiful words? All of a sudden. So I said to him, you okay? You okay with that? Because once I talk to him, there's no more changes. Yeah, yeah, go talk to him. I went to talk to the other one. I said to him, the yeshiva is yours. Come take it. 
He said, I'm not going to take it until he will announce that he resigned. Once he takes his stuff and leave, a day or two after, I will come. But definitely I will not come while he's still there that people would start saying that I pushed him out. Or I, I'm the reason he left. No. First he has to say that he, he left. And then I will come and say I was called to save the place. Fair enough or no? So I told him... <laughs> if I tell you what happened just now, you will all faint. After a long time that I did not speak to him, he's calling me right now. That's the one that I'm talking to him about. No, that, 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 that rabbi is calling me right now. Right now. It's hard to believe what just happening now. Tov, if you don't believe, come after the lecture. I show you. I'll hide the name, but I'll show you that it's a rabbi. So, anyway, don't get the wrong impression. We are dealing with very righteous people here. I just want to show you that even righteous people have crisis in Emuna when it comes to a real challenge. So what happened is I, I came back to him and I said, no problem, he agreed to take the yeshiva. Please make a, a gathering. Tell everyone that you resign. And he will and tell them that he's going to come and take over and everything will continue as usual. Now what would you think he should answer me? I went, I convinced the other one to come. Now what is he supposed to say to me? Thank you very much, I appreciate that you did it, right? So he said to me, wait a minute, and what am I going to do? <laughs> I said to him, am I dreaming? What's going on here? I said, well, what do you mean, what are you going to do? He says, so what, what am I? I said, I asked you that question. You told me that you, it was your dream. No, but wait a minute, but what am I gonna, going to do? I have a family, I have this, I have that. I said to him, so <laughs> I asked you a few times. I didn't, do you have a, a, an arrangement? He told me Hashem will help, no? The conclusion of this story is for sure when he told me Hashem will help, he really believed in it. And in his mind is clear 100% everything is from Hashem just like it's in your mind. But when it comes to the actual moment of test, that's when you find out how much emuna you have. In speeches, it's very easy to be Baal emuna. They are great speakers who speaks about the Muna. How are they in their life? Imagine someone give a series of Emuna. Every week, new lecture about Emuna. Then you see him Friday in the supermarket comparing prices. $3.99. $3.59. Walks two steps. Oh, $2.50. Go back. Replace. Where is your emuna? Don't you read in the Gemara that all the all the expenses of Shabbos is all on Hashem? Why you come? Yeah, it's on Shabbat. Hashem pays everything. So what? If if a rich man say you are my guest in my summer house, here is my credit card. Go to the supermarket next door, fill up the house with everything you need for Shabbos, all on me. Would you do that? 
3.59, go, come back, compare, go again. No, whatever you like. <laughs> Finished. Why? You have great emuna in a rich guy. <laughs> so the idea is, if you really believe what the Torah say, you will buy everything for Shabbat and you never compare prices. So the fact that people are comparing prices when they buy food for Shabbat, what does it show? That they don't really believe that Hashem is going to cover it. So you actually think that Hashem's guarantee, the check, will bounce. So you worry. And that's almost all of us. Don't think bad about someone that has crisis in Emuna. That's the test of the generation. And Emuna, unlike other things, unlike other things, Emuna is something that you will have to work on it every minute of your life for the rest of your life. Meaning, if you would sit for one month from morning to night and read about Emuna and the story of the righteous people and all the miracles Hashem did for them, from morning to night you will pump your head with so many proofs that Hashem does everything and Hashem runs the world, everything from A to Z. And after a month, you will close those books. And you go one day, and you'll be on the street. It's like you did not do anything the whole month. As soon as the challenge comes to you a day or two after, you're back to normal. Right away. Why is it? Because it's like working in a gym. You can build your muscles, but as soon as you quit, what happened to the muscles? They go back to be soft. It's something you always have to do. Same thing to watch your weight. There is no way to watch your weight for one month and finish. It's something that has to stay for the rest of your life. Right? Because even if right now you achieved the right uh, weight that you were dreaming about, who told you that a week later it's going to be the same? It's a constant fight. Why did Hashem make us gain weight when we eat? You go one Shabbat, you gain five pounds for three meals. So what is this? Ma, three meals already five pounds extra. Now it's going to take me two weeks to burn it. The question is, why did Hashem make... So I always wonder to myself, if you take chocolate, take a chocolate bar, 100 grams, four ounces, four ounces, and eat it, you gain more than four ounces. How? Four ounces went into my body. How few hours later, I'm already half a pound extra. Where the extra two ounces came from? From the air? How this calorie, how this fat, this whole chocolate is fat and sugar. How, if it only weighs four ounces, how it added six ounces to my weight? It's a big mystery, right? The answer is Hashem wanted it this way. But why? Exactly. Because Hashem wanted to teach us, unlike animals, you are people. And when you see food in front of you, one of the hardest tests in life is to see and not to attack it. The lion, you cannot convince him to go on a diet. 
same thing the elephant or the rhinoceros or the hippo talking to the wall dog try to tell your dog not to eat you see a, a bone now a juicy bone how many hours you will have to beg him not to eat the bone is it gonna help animals are animals they have instinct a person is the only creature in nature that can choose to do something that it's against his personal will remember somebody once asked you what's the difference between people and animals don't say we have a choice and they don't that's not true the animals also have choices they choose if to eat this meat or this meat put two different kinds of meat chicken and beef put it right there and leave Billy the dog to choose Billy, which one you want? He's hesitating. Well, he got this one. The next day, he will eat from here. So you see, he's choosing. You give him two females, he looks. He made up his mind. He chose her. He could have chose her. It's not a... He got I remember when I came to one time to JFK, I have a family, they have the best pizza on earth. Literally, they win awards, people from all over the world come to eat by them. If you ever go to Afula, Rimini Pizza. Just saying Afula, everybody knows them. So the, the pizza is a gold mine. Gold mine makes more than big factories. All day, long lines, non-stop, from morning to night. Still open, all the time. So, I wanted to prove to my kids that the pizza that they eat over here there's nothing to compare to their pizza. They, they made fun. Ah, you're exaggerating. We don't believe it. You say, I say, you know what? I will carry the whole pie with me just to prove it to them. I wrapped it nicely. I froze it. I said, well, I have 12 hours. In the meantime, seven, eight hours will be still frozen. By now, by the time I arrive to JFK, it's, it's defrosted, so I smell it. I smell it from my bag. I smell it. Who comes? The cop with the dog. <laughs> like this. Next, <laughs> next to me, an American woman. And the dog is now have to make a decision which one of us is going to get the fine, me or her. So he turns to me. He turns to her. That's been going on for a minute, like this. He can't make up the mind, his mind. So the guy said to him, make up your mind. <laughs> the guy with the dog. He made up his mind. Ma'am, can you come with me? What saved me? What saved me? Just before I went on a flight, same day, there's a Yemenite guy, Tzion Atemani, famous. He calls me up. He said, listen, my mother has a few things to send me. Can you bring it to me? I said, okay, where is she? In Bnei Brak. So you know what, I'm not that far from Nebrak. I'll drive there, I'll pick it up. But I hope it's not something big. No, no, only a few things, you know, special mouthwash, the Israeli triangle, you know, mouthwash. Say, Allah, no. I come there, mouthwash, big like this, 10 books, 20 mouthwash. I see this old Yemenite woman, are you unique? <laughs> I said, wow, <laughs> half a suitcase. I said, Tov, what am I going to say? I'm not going to take it. Tov, I took it. One of them opened up. <laughs> so it started to leak. 
mint, it's strong mint. So now the dog got confused. He has the smell of a pizza with onion and mushroom. And at the same time, he smells the mint. That's why he got confused. <laughs> Then he said, ma'am, come to me. She said, why? What did I do? He said, you probably have food. She said, yes, I have only this green apple. Man, it's against the law. You're going to get a $300 fine. Follow me. I said, old pie, full of everything. <laughs> so he ma- you see, the dog has choices. He make up his mind. So what's the difference between us and a dog? That the dog... Once he wants to do something, there is no way to talk into his logic to give it up. If he wants it, he must have it. And a person wants to do something, to eat something not kosher, you talk to him for a minute, and he says, okay, no problem, I'm not going to eat it. Even though he wants it very bad. And that's what the Torah is all about. Nida, this, that. There's a lot of tests in life. He was prepared to do something. Boom! Accident. What? I can't do it. What Hashem saying out loud? All kinds of things that happen. That's called disciplines. The way of Hashem helping us is that some of those tests that we have, if we fail, we see an immediate consequences. Just like gaining weight. If food will not make you gain weight and you always look skinny just like you want it, what do you think people would do all day? Those who love food. They would not come out of the kitchen. 80 years. 80 years. Well, if they need money, they would have to go to work. But even while they're working, they will eat. Most people today give up on food more than what they actually eat. Meaning, if the food would not cause immediate damage, they would eat more than double. So, as we give up already more than half of what we would like to eat, we still gain weight. Imagine if we would eat everything we want, what would happen to us? We'd be dead by 40. So, what did Hashem do? He gave us a motivational uh, shot. Look, you pay the price. Life become hard, you can barely move, you have uh, diabetic, you have other blood pressure. All of that is to help you to achieve your mission. And what's your mission? Control your mouth. Same thing, Lashonara. Leprosy. Boom. What for? To help you to do the right thing. The more generation pass by, for instance, today you don't find really leprosy. A lot of people speak non-stop Lashonara, and they don't get leprosy. In the old days, if someone finally spoke Lashonara, he got leprosy, everyone got so scared, for one month nobody make a beep. Nobody would like this embarrassment. But we need a merit for it. To get leprosy from Hashem after he spoke Lashonara once, like Miriam, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, when she meant well, she got it for a week. That's a merit. That's not a punishment necessarily. It's the, you need the merit that Hashem respond immediately to your stupid things. So one person told me, I don't know what's going on. Every time I do something wrong, immediately Hashem attack me. 
זה יסוד לקי. Imagine if you would let go. You would do ten times more bad. Now it gives you right away the patch. You get scared, you stop. Imagine if you would think, eh, here, I do whatever I want, and Hashem is okay with that. A guy marry a Goya. Nine months later, he had twins. What is the Satan tells him? See how Hashem is happy? <laughs> Look, you and Christine, such a shiduch. Look at this. Now you have uh, uh, Isaac and Tony. Twins. Two Italian kids. Look at them. And he's thinking, what, if Hashem wouldn't be happy, one shot he would give me twins? How many righteous Jews? It takes them ten years to have kids. And me and Christine, one shot, two. Right or wrong? It's stupid. They're going bow down to the sun. What do you want, Hashem, to destroy the sun? What do you want? They're going bow down to the cows in India. You want Hashem to kill all the cows? Because of what they're doing? No. Everything will continue as usual by the laws of nature. And in the end, everyone will get his final report. Now you have to pay. Or to get paid. Depend what you did. So nothing is, nothing is going to change. That's the nature. And you marry the Goya, she'll be pregnant. And you will have kids. And when you come to Hashem, you're going to have to pay very much for what you did. Right? Because against the laws of the Torah, that's it. The, the Gemara, in Masechet Yomah, page 14, the Gemara said that even King Solomon, Shlomo, could not understand the secret of the red cow. Amarti, Hashem gave me such wisdom more than any human being in history. And I still far away from understanding the secret behind this mitzvah. The question is, we have to understand why Chazal said that for the red cow, Shlomo HaMelech say, Ech kama mimeni. Why did he say such a sentence? Rashi, Rashi, that was not Shlomo HaMelech. Rashi. Shlomo HaMelech is greater than Rashi. Rashi say in the name of his rabbi, Rav Moshe Adarshan, that mitzvah paraduma has a reason. We know the reason. Why? The mother should come and clean the dirt of the baby. A mother and a baby goes to a doctor's office. The kid eat pretzels or chocolate and it's all over the floor. Who is going to clean? The mother has to take wipes and clean and put everything in the garbage before they leave, no? He put the toys all over. The mother is going to have to put everything back. Who is going to do it? The doctor? What is the connection? Why the mother has to come and clean for the baby? Meaning, you made a sin of a golden calf. Calf is a baby. Now, the red cow, which is the mother, has to come and make you repent for this horrible sin of the golden calf. This against that. You made a sin with the calf. The mother of the calf is who? The cow. Cow will purify you. The sin impurified you. Something similar, but the opposite will help you to get purified. 
So why King Solomon didn't know it? If Rav Moshe Adarshan knew it, so what is going on here? Shlomo HaMelech says, Shlomo HaMelech says, I thought that I would know the secret of this mitzvah, but I don't. Why? Why didn't he didn't know? The Chida, Rabbi Chaim Yosef David Azulai, from Morocco, 300 years ago, big mekubal. He said the wisdom of King Solomon was not the wisdom of an ordinary person. As smart as a person will be, and King Solomon is a whole league by, its, by, its, by himself. Don't try to compare him to other people, meaning he got the kingdom when he was how old? 12 years old. Who become a king when he's 12 years old? It's hard. He wasn't even bar mitzvah. He didn't even... Yes, yes, but he didn't even practice tefillin yet. And he's already a king of the world. Taking the place of his father David, which was a legend already. By the Goyim as well. The whole world knew King David. And now who takes his place? A little kid, 12 years old. When he was 12 years old, a king has to judge the nation. A king is one step above Sanhedrin. You have the kosher supreme court called Sanhedrin, 71 judges, and the king is above them. So the question is, he has to judge, but he's 12 years old. And you have big rabbis among the nation, in 80, 90, 70. What does he know compared to them? How is he going to judge them? He is now has to judge an 80 years old rabbi that did something wrong. He's going to tell him, what, you're joking? You can be my grand-grandson. Who are you to judge me? I don't care. They made you a king. It's their stupidity. I have to pay for it? Right or wrong? Who would agree that a 12 years old will judge him? Especially when you know the whole Torah. Imagine you have a big chacham, comes with his cane, barely walks. Rabbi, I... Your case arrived. He comes into the bedroom. He see a kid with a lollipop. Where is your father? Why are you asking about my father? Where is the judge? I'm the judge. Where's my ice cream? I'm the judge. Right away, he turns around and says, Get out of here, you. I don't want to say what. And he leaves. How do you overcome the problem? What did Hashem do? When he was in a Givon, a place in Israel, Givon, Hashem came to him in a dream. And he said to him, you have one request to make. Make your request. What do you want me to give you? King Solomon could have said, give me wealth. Give me power. Give me glory. Give me victories against my enemies. Make my life very long or healthy. But what did he say? I'm a little kid. I don't know how to handle things yet. I would like you to give me wisdom that I will judge your nation correctly, that I can tell the difference between good and bad, because who can judge this 
special nation. A different nation is hard as it is to judge them. The nation of Israel, ten times harder. And I'm a little kid. So all I want is that you make me a smart and a fair judge. So basically he asked nothing for himself. What did he ask? Wisdom for the nation, that, that there will be fair trials. That the justice system will be holy and accurate exactly as Hashem wants. That's something to be proud of. This is what a 12 years old is asking for. Hashem was so proud of him. Hashem liked it very much. Hashem was so proud of him that all he wanted is to be a fair judge. Therefore Hashem say to Solomon, because that's what you ask. You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for wealth. You didn't want your enemies to be in your hand. And you wanted to be a fair judge in a court. I will do as you requested. I will give you a good heart, wise, that no one before you ever had, and no one after you will never be like you. I give you my word, you will be the, the one and only in all history of this world. How many people lived in this world? Close to 100 billion. Today you have about 8 billion. Past generation you had about 6 that died already. And then probably before 5 and then 4 and then 3 and then 2. Add all of them together every generation, almost 100 billion approximately. That's my guess. So all of them, now one of them came near him when he came to his wisdom. So he gave him such a thing. So we see someone like that should have known the secret of a red cow. And he comes and says, I don't know. So we have no, ch no chance to ever know. If he says, I don't know, then no one has this, the, even the chance to know. We are wondering, when it comes to red cow, Shlomo HaMelech had one special difficulty, how it purifies the, the impure and how he is going to do the exact opposite to the pure people. Meaning you put on Reuven that is impure, he becomes pure. You put on Shimon that is pure, he becomes impure. Same ashes with the water will do two opposite transactions. The person that splashed it was pure, he becomes impure. I saw one of the Chachamim explain one person take from the water with the ashes and splash on an impure person. He take an impure person and turn him into a pure person. Now he can enter Bet HaMikdash, he can commit some good deeds thanks to those, to the person who splashed the, the pure water on him. But what happened to the person that came to save this person from his impurity? He himself became impure. So the Torah wanted to say that when you deal with wicked people and you want to make them balei tshuva, you got to be very careful. Why? It's contagious. 
you can become infidel like them. You can become heretic, heretic, heretic or heretic, heretic. You can become heretic. You can start speaking like them. That's what happened to a lot of speakers. I have 16 of them in my list. 16, yes. There's a lot more than 16, but the other ones are not known. There's no interest to publish them that they will make more damage. Those 16s are well known. You understand the problem? How they, they became like this? Some of them from the public they dealt with. The public made them to become like them. You understand? I give you an example. If you are a poor, innocent Talmud Chacham from Yerushalayim, you learn in Yeshiva 10 years, good, very good Torah, you're full of Torah, they sent you now to be a rabbi somewhere in America in a modern community. Everyone leather yarmulke, they come with shorts to shul and sandals and jeans. They have bloriot all the way to the ceiling. They can break the chandelier when they walk. And, you know, they have all kinds of strange things that they do in a community. Women don't get dressed. Food is not always kosher. The music is not always Jewish. A lot of strange things happening there. Now he comes and he gets the shock of his life. Come five years later, there is a serious chance that you will find that he, he went down to their level. He also wear now pink shirt and a blue shirt. <laughs> also have some uh, blorit. Also got a very expensive watch. Also got himself a sport car. Hey! When we brought you from Ponovich or Porat Yosef or any good yeshiva Hebron, you were down to earth, always gemara in your hand, shave head, peot, $29 watch. What happened? Look, these people, they got me to be like them. But then you have the other way around. That one person come and elevate everyone to his level. In Panama it happened, but how many other places it happened? Brazil. Maybe. The idea is that a leader can bring people up, but you have to be super, super clever how to do it. Because remember, one or two mistakes in a community, you burn. That's it. The, the people on your own shul will develop uh, allergy to you. There will become opposition. Every little thing, complaint, demonstration, argument, they don't want to come, this, that. You got to know how to do it. I told you once, I have a friend, he's a big hacham, and he had, used to be a rabbi of a shul, and he said to me, I want you to come give a lecture to the ladies about modesty. I said, what do you need me for? <laughs> what do I know that you don't know? He said, no, it's not about knowing. It's about if I will speak that lecture, most likely by the morning I will be fired. I wouldn't really care to get fired. I have Baruch Hashem a lot what to do. But if I'll get fired, I already know who they're going to bring instead of me. It will be some kind of a modern Orthodox conservative one. And this place will go down the drain. 
as long as I'm here, I prevent at least 50% of the horrible things they want to do. So I will bring you, you speak all the truth, they'll go crazy, the next morning they'll come to me, who did you bring? How did you bring us such a crazy guy to speak here about modesty? And I will say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know he's going to speak so strong. But there's nothing they can do, because it wasn't me. That's a smart leader. He knows his limitation. He knows his limitation from the other side, meaning what the Torah commends you as a leader. You are between uh, the rock and the hard place. Stuck in Hebrew, you say, Ben Apatish La Sadan. The hammer and the things that you bang on. What's he, what do you call it? Anvil. Anvil? Not Advil. Anvil. 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 So you're stuck between. You know? So he knew. So he, th- he thought, how do I do the right thing by both? By the community and by Hashem. That Hashem won't hold me responsible for what's happening here. That was the idea. Well, it didn't help him that long because a year later he had to live there anyway. And what happened? He got a much better job. That's usually what's happening. They kick you from one place. Next, next job, very, very high chance that you're going to get something even better. Why? Because if you got fired for sticking to the truth, there is no way in life that a person will ever lose from doing what Hashem expects him to do. There's no chance to lose from it. No chance. Whatever you see right now that you are losing is just a temporary setback. You guarantee to benefit from it, for sticking to the truth. And we have hundreds of examples, but that's not the time right now. So, Chazal say in Baba Kama, we have a rule, it says like this. So, Rav Moshe Feinstein Zatzal, in his book, Drash Moshe, Drash Moshe, it says like this. It says sometimes a person has a, one of his personality traits. It can be good by Reuven, it can be bad by Shimon. Same, same trait. For instance, if you, you have pride and you also have humility. You're generous, but you're also stingy. Sometimes a person has two opposite things in him. One time he will be all of a sudden very generous, and the next week all of a sudden doesn't want to give anything. What is it? Sometimes he will be so humble, and all of a sudden a month later he will explode with pride and uh, show off. So, we'll give you an example. If a person is humble, is that good or bad? Good, right? Always? Give me an exception to the rule. Oh, so sometimes it will be very bad. For instance, if you are so humble and you say, you know what, I'm going to make my friend like me. Why shouldn't he be humble? He's always show off. You know, I will never compliment him anymore. Because every time I compliment him, he feels great about himself. From now on, only criticism. No compliments. That's bad. You mean well, but you do the, or the wrong thing. If I'll tell him he's smart and successful, he's going to make him pride. I'm not allowed to give him compliment, but the Torah says it's good 
to compliment and flatter other people. Very nice. Shows that they're happy that they succeed. Ah, but it caused them to, to make sins because they're now full of pride. So, when a person has to be humble, it's for himself. When it comes to other people, you have to give them compliments. So you can see that two opposite things work in the same transaction. Same thing, generosity and stinginess. For instance, the Torah said to give a lot of charity. A lot. The more, the better. So that means very generous. You give so much. But you may come and say, I don't care about money. I give everything I have. Let me take my friend's money and also give it. <laughs> what is this? Big deal. I take 200 bucks from him. He's not here. Where did he go? To the shul. Checking his coat. 200. Here, take, take. My friend also participate. Why? For you, it's nothing. You give everything. You think, oh, I'll give. let me marry him. You cannot be righteous when someone sells money. Many people are righteous when someone sells money. For instance, if they drive their car, they don't want to give anyone a ride. They worry to do mileage. But if now someone gave them a car for a few days, all of a sudden they're so generous. Where do you need to go? I, have, I live in Queens. But now it's Brooklyn here. Don't worry, come, let me give you a ride. With this car, he wouldn't do it. With someone else's car, so generous, beautiful. Do you understand? I give you an example. When you're in your house, you put the air condition on 75. Why? Because I have to come and suffer. So the Satan puts in your mind, it's too expensive if you put it on 69. Put it on 75. Why? The rabbi is going to come, he's going to sweat, he's going to pull out <laughs> his, his towel and go crazy from the humidity. And you save $10 for the whole Shabbos. Right or wrong? But when he goes to someone's house for Shabbat, here is your room, 65. What happened? Ah, he pays the bill. I always wonder, sometimes you go to places, they put the air condition on very high, even though it's hot and humid. So humid, everyone sweat. And they put it on very high. What's behind it? To save electric. How much they save the entire Shabbat? Thousand people sweat, cannot focus in the davening. Their shirts stick to their back. Their neck is dripping. They cannot focus on anything because all they think about is, I can't breathe. How much they save? Ten dollars for 24 hours. Divided by a thousand people, a penny a person. Penny a person. They really think, wow, we save so much. How much an air condition cost? The entire Shabbat, the difference between 69 and 74 is $10 on the electric bill. That's what it is. You put the air condition all month on 69 with the thermostat, the whole month in the big house, you get six, $700 bill. So how much can it be? It's $20 a day, $22 a day for the whole house. Refrigerators, ovens, washing machine, light. Everything $20, $22 a day. So the air condition is approximately $10 a day. Right? $12. So how much you save? And don't forget, it's not for the whole Shabbat. It's three hours on Shabbat morning, 
three hours in Shabbat evening and two hours on Friday night. Eight hours. Three dollars. Do you understand how the Satan active? He comes to the mind of the Gabai. There's a lot of expenses. Save! People don't donate enough. Raise it to 70, 75. Why? The Satan knows 500 people will not dove in one word. Because they suffer. Suffer from the heat. They can focus. It drives them crazy. Can't breathe. They choke. The last thing they worry about now is Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. They look around. Where is a goy here? Does any goy here? Why? Call a goy. We're dying here. Right or wrong? I've seen it at least 100 times over the years in different places. What is it? The advice of the Satan. So, so you may say, well, but maybe people don't like air condition. No problem, so they wear a jacket. There is a solution. But for the people that suffer from it, there's no solution. You understand? That's another example. So I give you, Ramoshe uh, finished here in a sense like this. If someone steals from his friend, any amount of money, it's like stealing his soul. So Ramoshe concludes. Why didn't it say Zohukatapara? should say that's the law of the cow. It's not the law of the Torah. It's only one commandment, one mitzvah. To teach you that that applies to all the Torah. The Torah can, pure, can purify the impure and can, can do the exact opposite by the, by the by other people. Why? Because every little thing that you have to do, you have to have that Torah. What's good for you may be bad for him. Two people came to Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul. One of them said, Rabbi, I see the Rambam say that you should not waste a minute of your nights in sleeping. You should learn Torah all night. I think that I should start learning not only all day, I also want to learn all night. He said to him, no. Learn until the evening and go home, be with your wife and children and come in the morning again. Five minutes later, another guy came with the same question, saying, what took you so long? Should have started two years ago already to learn at night. So everybody is puzzled. Why to Ruven, he said, no, go home. And to Shimon, he said, where were you? Why, why only now you remember to come? He knows him and he knows him. This guy will be able to do it. This one will break him completely. He won't learn, not at night and not during the day. For one guy is the advice of the Yetzirah Tov. For the other guy is the advice of the Yetzirah Ra, the evil inclination. You understand, Rabotai? I've seen it so many times, it's so true. What good for one may be poison for the other. May be poison for the other. David Amelech had a special prayer while he was learning Torah. What was his what was his words? Yehi libi 
תמים בחוקיך למען לא אבוש. This is in Psalms chapter is whenever you learn something, immediately it make you focus on the reasons why do we have to keep this commandment. Immediately. What's the reason? Why always people want to know the reasons of the commandments? Let's analyze it. You come to a person and you say to him, you know, there's mitzvah, if you walk in a forest and you saw a nest of a, with a bird and some chicks or eggs, it's mitzvah to send away the mother and take the eggs, and for that you have long life. What? Strange. What's the reason? We don't know. No, no, there's no such thing we don't know. I need to know. No, no, we don't know. You just have to do it. No, no, I can't do something I don't understand. I need to know what I'm doing. Uh, you want to be stupid and do things blindly? Fine. I need to know. Convince me, I'll do it. Are you allowed to talk like that or it's a heresy? There's no problem of trying to understand the reasons of Hashem for the commandments. That's pure learning of Torah. But that should never be an issue when it comes for you to decide if you do it or not, whether you understand or not, is not relevant at all. Why do I do it? I have no idea. Hashem said so. Why did Hashem create the world? Only He knows. But He did. And He put me over here. And He gave me a system here of mitzvot. And He told me, you must obey all these rules and be careful not to commit any sins. And that's the purpose of life. And that would lead me to the next level, the place of reward, which is eternal. That's all I know. And that's what I have to do. No, 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 not good enough. I need to understand why, why Hashem needs this world. Why He needs us here? He was alone in His world, He's perfect, he, he has no needs. Why would He need seven and a half billion people when 99% of them are... I don't want to say what. Look at the world and you understand by yourself. Why does Hashem need this world for? 
What does it need for a four, four billion idol worshipper in China, India, Tibet, Japan, Thailand? Four billion people. Five, six hundred million in India, in Japan, so I don't know how many. In China, another close to two billion people. Add them all together, it comes to more than three billion people. They're all idol worshippers. Bow down to Buddha, bow down to a cow, bow down to other idols. In India, I have thousands of idols. You go to Mexico, every house full of statues. They're very fanatic in Christianity. Christianity also idol worshipping. Two billion people. Another two more billion. So there's about five, six billion idol worshippers in the world. What does Hashem need them for? What for? To eat? That they should eat and sit in a bathroom and snore at night and then bow down to a piece of, of a statue? What does he need them in the world for? What do they contribute to the world? Zero. Big mystery. Every once in a while, Hashem strikes on them. Tsunami, half a million died in a minute. Earthquake, boom, 70,000 died. Japan, boom. Thailand, boom. All kinds of things like this. India... But nobody gets the point. In India, finally now, Corona got them to destroy a lot of their idols. You saw the video with the tractor? Shh! Thousand statues in one shot. No, some Indians started to open their eyes. But the question is, why would Hashem need them in first place? What for? Arabs, 1.8 billion. What contribution they give to the world? besides terrorism and threats, and we all suffer on airports, and you want to get on a flight, you have to go through all this suffering, all of that because of terrorism. Why? I remember days used to come to the plane, walk in like a bus. I remember. When I came to America, you come to the airport, there was no machines, no nothing. You give the suitcase and you get on a flight. No machine, no metal detector, no put your hands like this, pick up your yamaka. Let me see. Uh, what are you looking in a watch? Maybe there's a, n a nuclear bomb inside. What's all this? Arabs. Everything around. You pay $73 a barrel of oil. Arabs. So much suffering in the world. From Ishmael, Pere Adam. What does Hashem need them for? Everywhere you go, look what's going on. Riots, this. Problem, violence, boom, shots, killing each other. Well, Hashem needs this big mystery. I can give you one billion mysteries that I have in my list. Do we understand anything? Best case scenario, maybe we understand 1% of the things that Hashem does. Maybe. If you are a Talmid Chacham. The rest... Nobody knows. The Gemara in Masachat Chagiga say, there are things that are above your understanding. What's above, what's below. Don't try to even understand that. Something, the, the Ramchal says, everything that is important for your purpose, Hashem gave you the ability to gain the knowledge. Everything that is not relevant to your to your purpose, you will never be able to get the knowledge. For instance, 
90% of the people in the world argue about one, one thing. How old is the world? Billion, trillion, 300 million. How is it relevant to the purpose? It's not relevant. Satan always pushes you to this argument. What do you care if the world is 6,000 years old or it's 6 million years old? How does it change right now your obligation to keep Shabbat, to be a decent human being, to be bad tzedakah, to learn a lot of Torah, not to commit any sins, not to worship idols, etc., etc. How does it make any one of those different? The answer, it doesn't. Why people so much arguing about the age of the world with the religious people? They're trying to prove that the Torah has no idea what they talk about. Because you said the world is only 6,000 years old, not even. And the scientists claim that it's millions of years old. So we cannot rely on the Torah. If we cannot rely on the Torah, then I don't have to keep Shabbat. That's the whole reason. They really, you really think they care about how old is the world? 10 million or 300 million? They really care? Who cares about it? We right now see what we are, where we are. I'll give you an example. You get a beautiful diamond ring. Does it make a difference if it's two days old or 200 years old? You just got it. It doesn't make a difference. It looks the same. It will look the same in 200 years. And in 400 years, diamond will always look the same. It does not ever become rotten. It will always remain the same. Sand. Put sand in a jar, come in a thousand years later. Still have sand. Salt, same thing. Certain things will never change. Some things will change, like trees. Eventually they'll break and die. Fine, but certain things in nature, you come in a million years, they still look the same. So who cares? The world is functioning. Nature, everything, galaxies. They don't really care about that. They just try to find out that the Torah does not know the age of the world. Because it doesn't make sense. But in reality, the Torah is right and they all have beautiful assumptions and theories and it's all nonsense. That's why I put in my website two films by Robert Gentry, an American scientist. One film called The Young Age of Earth. And the other one is, the name of it is The Fingerprints of the Creation. After watching those two films, you will laugh hysterically when someone will tell you that the world is more than a few thousand years old. You will laugh. Because now you know what nonsense they talk about. So let's move on. So David Amelech asking, when I learn Torah, make the Satan unable to focus on me. What does it mean? The answer is, when you learn Torah, right the way the Satan comes. Hi, good morning, welcome. Very nice, you came to Yeshiva, you're great. Look at you, what a matmid you are. Shachri just finished. Five minutes you ate quickly. And you sit already and you open the Gemara. And what do you learn? You learn today about Tfilin. So the Satan say, allow me to join the class. Why do we have such a strange mitzvah? That's how we begin to drill in your head. Two boxes, 
Pudir, Pudir. What's all this? You begin to wonder why. That's a part of the preparation to destroy you. I'll give you an example. Many times when you finally understand, it happened this Shabbat. My son say, you don't need any more Maim Achronim. Why? He learns in yeshiva this week that in the old days when they, they didn't have forks and knives. So they ate with their hands. Sit on the floor, like until today in Uzbekistan, that's how they eat. When they sit on the floor, they take the bread, dip it in the salt, and they eat. And then later they eat the eyes, and the salt goes into the eyes. The problem is that in Israel, the salt is from Sodom. Melach Sdomit. Remember the wife of Lot? She became a pillar of salt. The salt in Sodom is so strong, can make you blind. So, to prevent that, after the meal, they had a tradition, they bring some water, and people, because they eat with the fingers and they dip it in the soil, so you yeah, just clean the fingers. That's the halacha reason why you do my machronim. So, as soon as my son learned it in yeshiva, he's a uber chacham. He's already posekador. So he said, ah, you don't need my machronim. Why? Where do we have uh, sadomite uh, salt? Nobody eats primitive like this. We eat bread, the bread is clean, the salt is in a salt shaker. You know, even if you take salt and push it in your eyes, you won't be blind. So what, what do you need it for? That's exactly what I was talking about. What he did not know yet, that that's only one reason why we do my machronim. How many more reasons we have? Who knows? How many? One thousand and four more reasons we have. He only know one reason. And he want to dismiss the mitzvah. Yeah, King Solomon said, every mitzvah from the Torah have three thousand reasons. At best case scenario, you know, we know four or five reasons today. Three thousand reasons. Every rabbinical mitzvah or decree has one thousand and five reasons. How many reasons we know today? Two. One is what I just told you with the, with the salt. And one Kabbalistic reason. What's the Kabbalistic reason? The Satan goes crazy when you're about to do Birkat Amazon because it's such a huge mitzvah when you thank Hashem for the food, for the bread. And so you got to give something to the Satan to calm him down. Just like you need sometimes to give something to your own evil inclination to calm down, otherwise it will bring you, all of you down. That's what they say. Let the kid play a little bit. What? Let him play basketball half an hour a day. Let him get his energy into, into that. Why? If you tell him, learn, learn, learn all the time. How many Ravovadia you have in the world that learn in, in recess? Most people need to do something in between learning. So what's better? That they will have a phone and they start looking for the news and other things? Better you let them run a little bit. So you see kids in yeshiva, they run, they scream, they jump. You know, 
they get some of their energy, they come down, they come into the class, they can sit and learn. That's chelek la satan. You're going to give the satan something. That's another reason. And who knows how many more reasons you have to that. Today we don't know. We don't know. Almost. We know once the, once the temple was destroyed, the library of all the books of King Solomon was kidnapped all by the Goim. All the wisdom spread all over the world. A lot of the wisdom that came from us got into all kinds of people. Chinese needles, this, that. All this, a lot of that came from the, from the Torah. Music. Music. All the makamim, all the brilliance. The only thing that say music, it's a Torah by itself. There are gates of spirituality in, the, in heaven. Torah is the highest one. And music come almost to the height of the Torah. Just a little bit below. It's a whole, it's a whole world. We don't know anything. We think we know a little bit. We understand a little bit about music. Yes, it's, 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 you can see that when, when a person makes a, a beautiful melody, it's much like the spirit of Hashem went on him. Where did he have this idea to come with such music? Music also affects the soul instantly, just like Torah. Nothing else, nothing else can affect the soul instantly besides Torah and music. I'll give you an example. When King Saul was depressed, immediately he called David to come play for him music. Five minutes he play, he's in a good mood. Give uh, some people over there, you know, in Manhattan, give them a box with some music. <laughs> Before you even press play, they begin to move. <laughs> oh, they forgot. He just lost a thousand dollars in a bet. Was upset and angry. Listen, man, oof, don't talk to me. I'm angry now. And so, ta ta tam, ta ta tam, ta ta tam, ta ta tam. He forgot about the thousand dollars. Why? Affects you right away. Put Schindler list music. You're happy. You're smiling. I don't know, you had a great day. As soon as you hear it, ah, no, the violin, ah, you're about to cry. Put Turkish music, all the Israeli women, ah, as soon as the music begins, don't, don't talk to me now. What? So sad. What? The music affected the Shama right away. Brings you up or brings you down. It's written in a pasuk, ויקחו אליך פרה אדומה תמימה אשר אין במום אשר לא עלה עליה עול. Three things you need. Red cow, complete, that does not have any defect in it, nothing is missing, that no weight was ever put on it. There is a hint in this verse about life. Three things you need. Three conditions in life to do the mitzvot correctly. One, tmima. Two, mum. Three, all. What are those three words? Tmima, complete. You gotta do the mitzvah l'shem shamayim for the sake of heaven, from the beginning to the end. No shortcuts, no discounts. Don't mix your personal understanding. 
That's it. That's what it is from the beginning to the end. No question asked. Tmima. Second, and bomum, and bamum. No defect, meaning the mitzvah has to be exactly as in, as it's instructed. And three, asher lo all. All means weight on your shoulder, making you bend down too heavy. Meaning. When you do the mitzvah, don't look at it as a burden. Oh my God, again to wake up for shachrit now. I'm so tired. But in the morning, ta-da-dam, ta-da-dam, you alarm. 6.30, oh no, 6.30. Ah, you see how he gets up. I'm waiting for you in the car. We're running late. Okay, like this. You call him, no, we're running late. Where are you? I can't find my shoes. He's still sleeping. He walks, this, he did netila. If you tell him we go to camp, before the alarm goes on, he's already half an hour ready. From the happiness. Camp! I remember myself. Every morning I had to be in school at eight. I had 10 minutes walk from my house to the school. My father used to wake me up at 7, because he had to leave. So I say to myself, what 7? What am I going to do until 10 to 8? So I go back to sleep. Then he comes back again. No, I want to see you on your feet before I leave. I get up. I'm already half-dressed. He leaves. I fall on the, on the bed. The story of teenagers. But on Shabbatot, 6 a.m. I was already playing on a rug with my horse. <laughs> and a horse. Why? From the happiness that there's no school today. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Once you know there's no school, you get up like a tiger. That's exactly what he's talking about. What he's talking about. He's talking about the mitzvah should never be a weight burden on your shoulder. It should be like finding a treasure. That's the three conditions for the mitzvah to be perfect and accepted by Hashem in the highest level. The, the parasha continue, someone who touched a dead body, lechol nefesh adam shivat yamim. It makes you impure. The Gemara in Masechet Nida, page 69. The Gemara asks few questions about impurity by touching a dead body. Tanura Banan. Twelve things. The people of Alexandria. Where is Alexandria? Egypt. The people of Alexandria ask Rabbi Yoshua ben Hananiah. Three words of wisdom. Three words of tales and three words of ignorance. Three, three, and three. So this is it. Listen to their questions. First question, the wife of Lot. Can you become impure by touching her body? What happened to the wife of Lot? She became all salt. There's no body. No bones, no nashem. Turned her into salt. Because she looked at the people of Sodom 
all the gays were burning on fire. So she turned around, she looked, Hashem said, you don't have permission to see them burn. You're nothing better than them. If you are righteous, you get the price to see the end of the wicked people when the end come. By the way, you should know, in hell, there are two kinds of people there. People that did not keep Shabbat and people that kept Shabbat. How, can, how come someone who kept Shabbat goes to hell? Maybe he was a wicked person committing other sins. Nida, uh, other things. Stealing, Lashonara. Could be millions of other problems. But he kept Shabbat. What happened to the people that keep Shabbat? On Shabbat they don't sit inside the chambers there. The fire is off on Shabbat in hell. No fire. People that kept Shabbat, they take them out of their place and they take them to see what happened to those who did not keep Shabbat. Meaning they get a, a trip. A day of fun. What's the fun? Not the fun to see other wicked people that broke Shabbat suffering also on Shabbat. No, that's not the fun. The fun is, well, that could have been me if on top of all my other sins, I would also be Mechalel Shabbat, that day of rest, I would not even have that. Hashem takes, so what do you see? There is something by Hashem that He thinks that it's a prize to see the destruction of the wicked people. And you need a merit for it. And that's why the angels that save Lot and his family, they say, don't look back. You don't have the merit to see the end of the wicked people. You only get saved thanks to your uncle Abraham, not thanks to you. Therefore, don't look back. If you look back, you'll die. And she did look back, curiosity. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Question is now, if you touch that salt, if you know where it is and you touch it, hypothetically speaking, is it like touching a dead body and you become impure? Oh no. The Chachamim answer them, met metame ve'en netziv melach metame. Dead body impurified, soul does not impurify. Ben Ashunamit, ma'u sheyetame. Ben Ashunamit died, right? And what happened? Eliyahu brought him back to life. He died and he revived him. Someone that died clinical death. It happened to millions of people. He was dead for 10 minutes and he came back to life. Is he considered... Is he considered now a dead body for 10 minutes that the soul came out and the soul flew in a hospital and he came back into the body and he wakes up? Is it count that he died? Meaning if you touch him now, once he was dead, no pulse, nothing. Did you become impure? Or because the soul came back after 10 minutes and he woke up, it's considered that you're not, you, he never died. That 10 minutes temporary dead, is a full death or no? That's a very interesting question, because if you're going to say that yes, then he's going to need to remarry his wife now. 
because she was a widow already, she was allowed to go. Imagine he died, and his wife would go right to someone and say, ah, finally, come quickly marry me. Just when he said, she has to wait three months, but she didn't wait. She's not exactly the Baba Sali. Right away, she ran to her boyfriend. It's sick. Guess what? It finally happened. Come quickly with the ring. Arat Mekudesh, he put the ring. Her husband saw it. He said, I'm not going to give them that fun. He came back to life. Now, is she, the marriage that she married the next person, took place or not? She was a widow. Doctor says that, no pulse, no brain waves, nothing. But he came back to life. One guy came back after 43 minutes. 43 minutes. A guy in India, Goy, came back to life after two days he was dead. Two days, in the middle of his funeral. When they already brought him down to the grave, he woke up. Ruins the party. Imagine all the people already calculated how much they got on a wheel. Finally came back to life. What a disappointment they had. So, that's a good question they ask. So what's the answer? Amru lahem, the Chachamim say, Met metameh ve'en chai metameh. What does it mean? That he did not become impure. Because if you say he's impure, that means he really was dead. He was dead. That's it. Metim. In the future to come, when they will come back to life, resurrection of the dead, they will need on the third day to splash them because it takes seven days to get, get rid of the impurity. They would need the splashing on the third and the seventh day or they won't need? Good question. They came back to life. They were dead, right? So now the question is, when they came back to life, you need to purify them because they were dead. This body was dead, right? And he just woke up. So yeah, they answered him, when the time come, we'll ask them. <laughs> Meaning Mashiach will already be here, so we will have who to ask. When uh, the prophet rose the people no, it doesn't say by the prophets, by the prophet, it doesn't say that they were purified. But the Gemara said that one of the grandchildren got up in the yeshiva and said, I'm the grand-grandchild of one of them. Now remember, this was happened, this happened 2,600 years ago. And a thousand years later, one of the Amoraim say, I have my family tree. I have a family tree. I was born from one of these people that the prophet Ezekiel revived. That means they came back to life and they stayed alive. And they started to have children. Where was the soul? Few possibilities. Either the soul gets reincarnated or goes to hell or goes to Kafakela or goes to a place called Goof. Goof. It's like a tank. That Hashem stored all the souls until further notice. Sometimes the soul remains in a goof 200 years, 100 years. 
until Hashem finds the right time to send the soul back in the body into the world. Sometimes, yeah, the Gemara say, and Ben David ba, one of the conditions to the arrival of the Messiah is that this tank will be empty. Why? Because once the Messiah would come, there's no more incarnations. So you have to make sure that all the souls will return to the world, and that's when Messiah would come. What happens to the soul until a person gets buried? The soul goes up to the court of heaven right away. With the body, without it, it doesn't make a difference. The soul never ever rests. Someone who got cremated, the soul suffers for eternity. That's what his stupid children do to him, or to her. That they, they dictate on them to suffer forever and ever. No rest. So... Uh, they say when there will be the resurrection of the dead, we will ask Moshe Rabbeinu, not Mashiach. That's what they say. The Chachamim, why they didn't say Mashiach? Because if Moshe will be, Moshe is higher than Mashiach. He's the chief Rav. Mashiach is holy as much as he is. We have our rabbi. We never got rid of him. He's right here, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe, should they do splashing on a third and a seven or not? The question is, why they didn't ask him if the, the son of the Shunamit also needs splashing? He was dead already, no? And Eliyahu brought him back to life. Why they didn't ask about him? Does he need splashing or no? The Nodabi Yehuda, who lived 150 years ago, answered that question in his book, Avat Zion, in the eighth drasha. 150, no? More? 350? 350. You sure? No. I'm not a hundred. Google it. The Noda Biuda. When did he leave? He wasn't before the Gaon Vilna. The Noda Biuda. Huh? Pnei Yoshua? The same generation? Top. We'll find out who's right. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So. 1713? 1713? 1780. 1780 years. Almost 300 years ago. He was born. Yeah. And when did he pass? Oh, that means he lived in the time of the Roman Gold. So. 1793. 220 years ago. Top. Baruch Hashem. Now we know. Yeah. So, they ask, they have no Yehuda say, on the Ben Ashunami, there was no doubt that he needs splashing. Why? Why? Because his body, that body, became impure. Now he came back to life, he was already dead. But when a person resurrects, when a person resurrects, the, the body never, there was, the body did not exist. There was only bones. There was no body. Hashem creates the body again. Everything begins to grow. The, the, the flesh, the, the ligaments, the muscles. Here we had a complete body. Based on that, what we say before, it's incorrect. That if someone was dead, clinical death, 
for 40 minutes, he would need red cow, ashes, and water. If we had it, in order for him to enter Bet HaMikdash. By the way, you should know today, all of us need red cow, ashes. All of us are impure. Why? We went to hospital. It's enough that one Jew, there's a body of one Jew in a hospital when you were there. At one time in your life, you are impure for the rest of your life. You go into Jewish cemetery, you become impure. You drive on a highway and maybe there are graves from a thousand years ago underneath in Israel. You become impure. You go on a half flight to Israel. They have a body there almost all the time, at least one body, every flight from here to Israel. You become impure. That's why the Kohanim, they check with El Al before they take the flight. Do you carry a body on this flight today or no? If they say yes, they don't get on a flight. You may say, I don't understand. Anyway, all the Kohanim are impure already. They're impure already from their life. They were in place that someone died in a, in a room, in a hospital. They're already chazaka that they're all impure. So why can't they get on a flight? The answer is that even if you are impure, you can become more impure. There's extra tuma. It's not set for X level. It's more tuma and more and more and more. You can add more and more tuma. The more tuma you get, the worse you become spiritually. That's a very big mistake. That's a very big mistake. I'll prove it to you soon. Very big mistake. So the Nodabi Yehuda says, in the future to come, when the resurrection of the dead, there will be no face. Meaning, there was no skin, no nothing in a grave. So there was nothing to be impure, nothing to become purified. That's it. It's a brand new body that Hashem just recreate. What about the loose bone? The bone that called loose. Where is it? Right in the back. That big bone in the back that connects the spine to the neck. Never become rotten. If the body is a thousand years in a grave and the whole body is rotten, this bone does not get rotten, ever. In one condition, that you eat Melava Malka. You eat on Motze Shabbos, Seuda Revit. Sometimes it's very difficult, especially in the summer. You eat Seuda Shlishit around 8 p.m. Shabbos end around 9.30, 9.40, and you have to do at 10 o'clock another meal. And you're already full from the chulent in the morning, and the kegel, and the bread, the challah, and now Seuda Shlishit, you're about to explode, and guess what? Now, Seuda Revit. Again, to wash. Sometimes you can't eat. If you stuff, it won't help you to do to wash and to eat bread because it's called achila gasa. So either you wait another hour or two until you become hungry and you wash. And if you know yourself that you won't be hungry until 1 a.m., one a, 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 you might as well eat something small, one ounce, if you can. If not, it's a problem. Sometimes you eat mezonot, tough. There's all kinds of shitot. But you need to eat Melava Malka. So would I eat? 
women as well. They have to do Souda Revit. So, the Noda Biyuda say that this bone is not getting rotten is only if a person made Souda Revit, but there's one more condition, that he wasn't a jealous person. People that are jealous, their entire body, include this bone, get rotten. It's written in Proverbs 14, verse 30. What makes the bones rot? Jealousy. Jealousy. There was one secular woman, she was buried, and then her family wanted to bring her body to Israel. Decades. She was buried for decades. They opened the grave. She was a secular woman, nothing uh, righteous. They opened the grave and they saw that her entire body is complete. Usually tzaddikim, they stay complete. But her, what reason she has to stay complete? They told Rav Chaim Kanievsky that story and said, go please and investigate the story of this woman. Why did they find out that from a very young age she was in coma? And she lived a long, long life in coma, 20 years, something like that, until she died. So she was never jealous. You're in coma. Who are you going to be jealous with? You understand? There was one rabbi in Morocco, Rav Ochayon. 60 years he was buried, Rav Ochayon. 60 years. After 60 years, they decided his, his son and his grandson to go to Morocco, ask permission from the king of Morocco to bring his body to Israel. When they brought his body to Israel, Hevrat Kadisha opened the, the coffin and they saw him completely like a baby. Now one hole in his body. Now one worm touched him. Nothing. They told it to Rav Eliashiv, and Rav Eliashiv said, tell all the yeshivot to close the Gemara and to go to his funeral and let them see in their own eyes what happened to a tzaddik that was buried for 60 years and Hashem did not give permission to the snakes and the worms to touch his body. 60 years in a grave, Rabotai. After 11 months, usually not one drop of skin left from you. The snake goes in, they eat everything, the worms, the, all the other things. By the time 11 months pass, you only have bones. Nothing is left. Unless... A very big tzaddik, or you were someone that never ever was jealous. Someone that was jealous, even the bones become rotten. Not right away, but it takes time. But after maybe a hundred years, if you open, the, the bones falling apart like powder. And that's the, the, what the Nodabiuda say. Someone that had jealousy, even this bone get rotten. Unbelievable. But not everyone agree with that. The Khatam Sofer, another giant Chacham 200 years ago, the Khatam Sofer say the loose bone, yeah. even someone that had jealousy, this bone particular, the rest of his bones will all get rotten, but not this one. Right? So, so, so what do we learn from here? That you need to do Sudar Revit in order for you to resurrect from that bone. Because that's when the body will be rebuilt from that bone. The 
the, the comments that you made about some people go to grave of righteous people, Kohanim, thinking that the body of righteous people do not make you impure. Let's see if you're right. In Masechet Ketubot, page 103, it says, Rebbe, the day Rebbe died, the Kedusha was dismissed. There's no more holiness. Rav Chaim HaKohen used to say, was one of the Rishonim, if I was when Rabbeinu Tam passed, I would run to take care of his body, even though he's a Kohen. Because even though I'm a Kohen, what the Gemara said that the Kedusha was dismissed in the time of Rebbe, Rebbe it means the Keunah. Right? So it says, therefore, I'm a Kohen, but since the, the, the Kedusha that was dismissed, I can run and touch the dead body. We have to understand, the Khatam Sofer says, Kol anogea benefesh amet, nefesh adam, asher yamut, what happened to him, he becomes impure. The, the, the question is, why the Torah had to duplicate the language? Kol anogea bemet, everyone who touched the dead, benefesh adam asher yamut, to a person that died. You already said, you, you touched dead. Why you have to say that someone that died? Twice. The answer to teach us met kaze shehu asher yamut legamre dead that will die completely you cannot become impure by him but someone tzaddik that tzaddikim never die their soul will remain for eternity like Rabbi Rabbi Yudha Nasi from him you don't become impure why wait why? Because he really never died. Because tzaddikim in their death called alive. Tzaddikim bechayem bemotam kruim chayim. Where is the source of this say that the righteous once they die they are still called alive? Kohelet Rabbat et Aleph. Midrash on Kohelet, chapter nine, in the beginning. Some said, as results of that, halacha, your Kohen should be allowed to enter a grave of a tzaddik, because the tzaddik is considered alive. Rav Israel Mishiklov, you know who he was? The student of the Gra, the Shiklobim. All his Talmidim, they came to Yerushalayim, they called Shiklobim, very holy people. They followed the path of the Gaon Mivilna. So you give an approval or no? Baruch Hashem, I'm happy. No, I, I can't continue without your approval. So No, because I'm about to give you the knockout. But before that, I want first to make sure you're with me. No, no, Rabbi Israel Mishiklo. In his book, Pe'at HaShulchan, giving you the source. Ilchot Eretz Israel, the laws of the Holy Land, Eretz Israel, Siman Bet, Seif Katan Yudchet. Now you know the source, you can look at the recording and go free. Yesh Limnoa Minag Bnei Adam Kohanim Sholchim Etzel Kivrot Tzadikim. We have to prevent a custom of some Kohanim, Kohen, that goes to the grave of righteous people, the Tanaim, the Amoraim, the Geonim, the Omram, as they claim. שקברי צדיקים אינם מטמאים. 
that the grave of the righteous do not make you impure. So what if I'm a Kohen? I'm in a grave of Shmuel the prophet. I cannot become impure from Shmuel. You with me or no? Vetautu yes. beyadam. It's a mistake. Because who is greater than our fathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Adam Arishon, and the mothers, who are all buried in Me'arat HaMachpelah, and in Gemara it says clearly that their bodies make you tame. Metamim. So who's better? Tzadik? Any tzadik you want in the last 2,000 years? Or Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? And the Gemara tells you that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, their bones metame. End of story. Tell your friends, the Kohanim, that found excuses to go to Kivrot Sadikim, they cannot go to Uman. <laughs> Uman, Shuman, I don't care. Anywhere. Right? Here we go. Baruch Hashem. So they, they don't wash their hands I just say it is no, metame. Ah, those Kohanim? They, you know, I, I want to tell you something. A person chooses first what he want to do, and now he begins with his head to supply excuses. He wants to go to a grave of a tzaddik. Now he begins to search, how do I justify my will? But, but he himself knows that he's not allowed. He just want to find an excuse to make it permitted, meaning that nobody will pick on me. Therefore, for sure, he will wash his hands. When no one look. He will go, say, go make netila. No, I don't need netila. I just told you, it's not metame. Ah, this is a grave of a big tzaddik. The Chabadnikim, they don't even have this issue. They claim the Rebbe never died. <laughs> I don't know why they go to the Tzion. Some of them say he never died. They say Shlita. So why they go to a grave of someone that's still alive? Right here next door are friends that always invite me to the Rilulot, which they have at least two a month. You have to, it's hard to keep track. One and one of the time, I think you were there, Simanto. I was sitting with them, you know, and then I said by mistake, I made the mistake of my life. I say, before the Rebbe passed, as soon as I finish this sentence, I say, before I was about to tell them, before the Rebbe passed, I got a silver coin from him. I went to him one time. And he did not give me just a dollar. He also gave me a real silver coin, worth fortune now. So I still have it. So I was about to finish the sentence. I say, before the Rebbe passed, I was about to continue. I went to him. A guy, Pinchas from Canada, took me there. You must come with me to the Rebbe. So I was about to tell him, that as soon as I say, before the Rebbe passed, there was about 20 of them. I had to see how they all jump. Like they saw a snake or something. You know how you see a snake, how everyone jump? What? Disappear from our eyes. Don't say they died. They went, they almost killed me over there. Meaning now he disappeared from our eyes. He's hiding himself. 
right here next door. You were there with me or not? <laughs> he will tell you. Top, so you got it. The Sabami Novardok. Now you're going to hear something beautiful before we finish. It's written in the parasha, Zot Torah Adam Ki Amut Be'oel. You want to gain Torah, be ready to die in the yeshiva, meaning kill your body, eliminate your body. You want to be Talmid Chacham? These are the things you have to give up on. You ready? Fancy car, off. Fancy clothes, off. Fancy mattress, off. Sushi, off. Delicious steaks, off. Nice watch, off. Pizza, off. Business class, off. Even if you're very rich. Wait, wait, wait. I say if you want to become somebody big. Big. Not just an ordinary learner. Someone big. You got to give up your body completely. Meaning I do not invest in my body a minute a month. I eat something just not to die. Delicious, not delicious. Fresh, not so fresh. Who cares? I survive. I've been seeing Abba Shaul for years. Took bread from two days ago. Dip it in a leftover coffee from the morning. To make it soft because it was hard like a rock. You break someone's head with that. It was from two days ago over there. He dip it inside. After it became soft, he push it into his mouth. Every once in a while, he cheated a little bit by eating a little tomato with that. <laughs> I guess when his Yetzirah grew, he also cheated by taking tomato. Do you understand? Four years. In Mir Yeshiva in Shanghai, there was barely anything to eat. What can you eat in China in those days of the war? In Porat Yosef, when the Jordanians were shooting missiles in Porat Yosef, three days nobody ate. Rav Ovadia Yosef, Rav Ben Tzion Abba Shaul, Rav Ezra Atiyah, Rav Ades, all the Chachamim. Three days Rav Ben Tzion Abba Shaul write that you heard the stomach of all the students grinding like a saw. You know how loud it is after three days? From all over. And everyone was learning. Three days no food. In, in Shanghai it was so hot and humid that they were about to faint. So they took off their shirt and they asked the rabbi to give them permission to lay down on the floor and learn Gemara when you lay down on the floor because the floor will cool your body, otherwise you faint. It was like 110 degrees, 100% humidity, no air condition, of course, in those days. The only way to survive was to lay without a shirt on the floor. That's how they left. Stone. Stone, like here, stone. You come in a very hot summer, the only cold thing in a room will always be the floor. You touch it, that's it. Sabami Novardorok, what was his name? Rav Yozel Zatzal. He said that what got him to invest all his life in Musar? How do you, what's the right word for Musar in English? Moral conduct. Moral? Moral conduct. Moral conduct? Yeah. Yeah. Moral conduct. Ethics. ethics is something a little bit different than ethics. Musar. Ethics. Huh? Rebuke. 
No, rebuke is to tell someone that he does something wrong. What, Musar, I think what he says is correct. Moral, uh, what? Conduct. Conduct. So the Sabbath in Novardok say, what got me to invest my whole life into this? Moral conduct. Thanks to Rav Itzel Blazer. Who was Rav Itzel Blazer? Huh? And who was his student? Who was his student? Rav Shach. And he told Rav Shach that he should marry the orphan from, from his family. And he let him live in his living room with another couple. Two couples in a small living room with a blanket was stuck to the, to the ceiling to separate between one couple to the other. And because the Nazis came to the, to the town... Not of this. So when the, when, the, when the Nazis came, Rav Shach said to the orphan, his wife, anyway, we don't have anything. We might as well get on the boat and go to Israel. And that's how he got saved. He came to Israel, became Rosh Hashivat Ponovich. Rav Itzel Blazer, no, actually, not, it wasn't him. It was Rav Itzel Zalman Meltzer, somebody else. Yeah, not, not Rav Deslev. Rav Itzel, yeah, similar name, Blazer, Meltzer, top. Anyway, forget what I just said. Rav Itzal Blazer Zatzal, that's what, when he saw the Saba Minovardok, listen what happened. Rav Yuzel one time went to Leipzig. Where is Leipzig? In Germany, no? Leipzig. Big market, beautiful. There was a big market over there, trading, and he met Rav, Rabbi Itzale. Rav Itzale asked him, what are you doing here? Rav Yuzel, later to be the Savam in Ovardok, he said that he's on the way to sell some merchandise to help his family survive. And he asked him, but what about Torah learning? What's going to happen with your Torah learning? So he said to him, I have to take care of a wife and six children. I have no choice. So he said to him, what are we going to live with if I won't work? So he answered him, and what are you going to die with? That's what his answer was. This sentence changed his whole life. One sentence. And what are you going to die with? The Imanamut. He told him, Imani Chieh, how are we going to live? And he answered him, Veimatamut. When you will die, what are you going to have? Right now you worry to have food, to have things, to live comfortably. How come you now worry what you're going to have when you die? That's what counts. Not what's here temporary. That sentence was enough to make him leave everything and put all his life into learning until he became the legendary Sava Minovardok. There were a few very big legends in Musar, in moral conduct. One of them was Rav Israel Misalant, Avit Nuata Musar, 150 years ago he started that movement. And Sava Minovardok was one of them. Everyone knows. Novardok, Rav Galinsky was in Novardok. Rav Galinsky. Huh? Stipler. That's a very big, very big people came out of there. 
One sentence changed the life of a person. I know one of the biggest chachamim in the world today that became Baal Tshuva age 22. He was an officer in the Israeli army. A general of a large group in the Lebanon war. He listened to a tape and the speaker on the tape said one sentence that woke him up. What was the sentence? Yesh Adam Chai et kol chayav betaut. There are people that live, that live all their life in mistake. Meaning their entire life is one huge mistake. Total opposite direction, no connection to their purpose. And he started to think, maybe I'm one of them. Secular, general, has a driver, driving the general. Everybody bow down to him. He gives orders. You know, and he started to think, maybe I'm one of them. Maybe I'm one of them. Started to start investigating. Checked. The rest is history. Set and learned for 30 years, became a legend himself. If you want it, you can do it. Last thing for today, Chazal say, this is the way of the Torah. A person should be willing to die in the tent, meaning it's an expression while he's learning Torah to kill his body and revive his soul. The Torah, אין התורה מתקיימת אלא במי שממיס עצמו עליה. This is a Gemara in Masechet Brachot, Brachot, page 63. Brachot, page 63. Could be also in Masechet Shabbat. There are many things that appear in the Talmud few times. I'm sure they have Gemara over there, you can check. What does it mean ממית עצמו? Killing himself. He lived in the most simple possible way. Pat b'melach tochal, you'll be ready to eat bread and salt only. Water, very simple water you drink, that's all I have. You're ready to sleep on the floor, live life of sorrow, kill yourself by learning Torah. If you do that, how lucky you are in this world, and needless to say in the next eternal world. Why are you lucky in this world to live such a simple life with lots of sorrow and, uh, and very simple? Because as much as you think that the more wealthy you will be and the more toys you will buy and the more delicious food you will eat, you will find out that you suffer more than an ordinary person who, who eats very little and dress very simple and live the most simple possible way. Mentally. The more you own, the more stress you have, the more anxiety, the more anxious you are, the more worried you are, the more confused you are trying to figure out what to do. So many problems you have. This store, that one, this building, construction, permit, this, that. Simple avrech. Come to morning in yeshiva, after shachrit, sit, learn all day, go home, two, three hours with his kids. The same thing every day. All his life Torah. Doesn't have buildings, doesn't have permit, doesn't have this and doesn't have that. Nothing. Nothing to distract him. What? Most simple life. And Hashem does miracle for them. 
they get clothes, these, that, everything works out. And that's how they move on with their life. Everybody think, okay, you know what? You will suffer in this world, but the next world you'll be a king. That's also not true. In the next world you'll be a king for sure. But even in this world you are a king. Because wealth is not how much you have. It's how much satisfy you. And if you satisfy with what you need, and someone that has a hundred million dollars and is still hungry for more, is more poor than you in his mind. Because he's after more. And you are not after anything. Baruch Hashem, Hashem gives me what I need, I'm happy. I don't need more. And that's very difficult to reach such a level. But once you do, you're free for life. The Pnei Meir is saying, when Rav Meir Shapira Miluvlin, Yeshivat Chachmei Luvlin, was a famous yeshiva. He's the founder of Dafyomi, Nachon. The idea of learning one page a day and finish every seven years. And he needed some, um, when he collected some money to his yeshiva, one of the rich people asked him, what do you need money for? He asked him. He said, I'm building a yeshiva. And he said, I want the yeshiva to have a dining room and a dorm that the boys over there should have comfortable condition that they can learn. So the Gvir, the rich guy, said to him, didn't the Mishnah say that you have to sleep on the floor and drink only some bread and water and live, and live, and, yeah, yeah, and live simple life? Rav Meir said to him, let me tell you a story. The Gaon Mivilna had a big argument with Baal Atanya. Baal Atanya is the founder of Chabad. If Chabad would be like Baal Atanya, I would be the first one to join them if they would stick to the original Chabad way. Musar, strong Musar, and more Musar. And a lot of holiness. That would be fantastic. But even then, the Gaon Mivilna was the biggest Chacham on earth, put them in Cherem, on a band. When the Baal Atanya found out that the biggest Chacham in the world put him in a band, today people don't care anymore. But back then they cared very much. Such a Chacham put me on a band, how can I sleep at night? What do you think he did? He went to him. Nasa Baal Atanya ledaberimo. As he is on the way, there was a lot of delays on the way that he got stuck in Passover in some city. In the middle of Tfilat Arvit of Yom Tov, Balatanya and his uh, companions, they saw that in, on, on, Friday, on uh, Pesach night, we say Halel. Not everybody say Halel. Some Yekes, they don't say Halel. On a night. Hasidim, Faradim, they say Halel at night. That's the only time you say Halel at night in Arvit, in Pesach. But some Ashkenazim don't say Alel. Some of them wait after the davening. When people go, they say Alel without bracha. We say Alel with bracha in a shul. When the Baal Atanya saw that over there in a the shul that he is, is now in, in, in Lel Pesach, they are not saying Alel, right? That's their minag. And he holds that you have to say. 
But he didn't want to rebel against the rabbi of the place. He's the, he's the, he's the leader over there. He waited until they all left, and him and his few Talmidim went back into shul quietly, and they started to sing and scream the Hallel. One of the people from the community passed by and he heard Hallel from the shul at night. He couldn't believe what's going on. Ran quickly to the rabbi to inform him what these people doing under your nose here. The rabbi asked Baalatanya to come. He asked him strictly, how did you dare to do something against the custom of the place? Baalatanya told him it's halacha. Bet Yosef ruled that the Shulchan Aru, you have to do it. But the rabbi banged. But the Ramah said that it's not our custom to do so. Ramah is the, the Maradatra of the Ashkenazim. It's also only 500 years ago in the same generation. So the answer of Balatanya was, when the, how, the, how does the Rav know that when the Ramah wrote, we are not doing that, that he also banged the table? <laughs> Maybe he was very upset that we are not doing it, and he said that, but we unfortunately don't do it. How do you know? <laughs> That's what he told you. Maybe it's a chaval that we cannot do that because it's not our custom. And the rabbi of the place say, you're right, maybe. So that was the end of it. So Rabbi Meir Shapira that was telling the Gvir that story, what's the story has to do now with money for the building. He say, you told me now, that's the way of the Torah. Sleep on the floor, eat bread with salt, eat, drink water, live life of sorrow. How do you know that's what the Tana meant? Maybe Betana was describing how miserable we are that we don't even have the merit to live comfortable life. <laughs> Maybe he said that's the way of the Torah. What? If you are Talmud Chacham, you are distant. Unfortunately, because the rich people are so stingy and they only care about their stomach and they don't care about the Torah so much. So because of them, we have to eat bread with salt. And because of them, we barely have some water and we sleep like dogs on the floor. If they would open their wallet, we would live in a comfortable mattress and we can learn Torah in a much more focused way and we would eat some, some food with good vitamins and maybe we would have keng and water, filter $5,000 in yeshiva that get away all the acid and clean all the dirt and the water is delicious. That was a commercial for Shimon Kolyakov, Torah anytime. <laughs> it was too obvious, right? No, but it's delicious water. There's no argument about it. Remember what happened. I, I was thinking to myself, why do you need a filter that costs a few thousand dollars to clean the acid out of the water? If Hashem made water with acid, that means it's better. Why would I get rid of the acid? <laughs> then he told me, no, no, he got it all wrong. Hashem didn't make water with acid. The dirt in nature and all the things that happen made acid mixed with the water in the lakes and the places. So the Japanese invented a way with some platinum to separate between the alkaline and the acid, meaning to bring the water to the original form of the way Hashem made it.
Ah, what can I tell you? I'm debating if I should start the next topic because it's already 11. It's too late. 10 to 11? So I have 10 more minutes. The nation of Israel, they arrived to Midbar Tzin in the first month and Miriam passed. Miriam the prophet, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, she passed. Prophetess? Prophetess. Very good. I, I want people to fix my broken English to make it a little bit less broken. Prophet is a man. Since when in English you have male and female? It's only in Hebrew and Spanish. Huh? Prophetess? Prophetess. Prince and princess, you're right. Okay, so now Miriam, after she passed, after Miriam passed, the whale, there was a whale that walking with them. By a miracle, they get water from the whale. Now Miriam passed and the whale dried out. When did Miriam pass? What date? 10 of Nisan. 10 of Nisan. As it's written in the Targum Yonatan. And the well probably did not dry until her Shiva finished. Right? Because Hashem gave respect to the Tzadikim when they passed. So that was 17 of Nisan. Se- 17 of Nisan, right? The, the complaint started when? Three days after. Because now for three days there's no water, which was the 21st day of Nisan. As we saw in Parashat Beshalach, they complain in Marah after they walk for three days and they couldn't find water. Chaf Aleph of Nisan is the seventh day of Pesach. Seventh day of Pesach on Yom Tov. What do they have to do? Demonstration. Demonstration against Moshe Rabbeinu. The question is, Something else happened on the seventh day of Pesach. What is it? A year earlier, a few years earlier, what did we have? Huh? The splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea. The Khatam Sofer say after the splitting of the sea, the wicked people, the university intellectuals, with their degrees, they were challenging the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea. They said, Moshe was a good magician. Let's leave it like that. What do you mean, Moshe? It's Hashem. Come on, we have a degree. You have to talk to us scientifically. You know, what do you think? We believe all these fairy tales? We have a degree. Ah, you have a degree, so we have to talk to you some science. 
Moshe knew about the stars, he was a shepherd, he also knew the rocks, he also knew the area, he knew when the water goes up and down, he aimed it, and he's a magician. He finally knows there's one star who can dry out the ocean. So now, a lot of the innocent Jews, they're starting to follow these university rabbis that are on my list. They brainwash them to become infidels. How do you fix it? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that the same day we will perform a miracle that water will come out of the rock just by talking to the rock. And that will be an answer to the, all these degrees and the infidels that make logical and natural claims that they contradict the miracle of Hashem. So if the, the magic of Moshe was able to dry the ocean, how come in the same day the opposite happened? Same day that the star control, water coming out of a rock. How can it be? If the star that dry the water is in charge today, how come water is going to come out of a rock? I will block the mouth of all this kofrim. That was the plan of Hashem. That's why Hashem got very angry when Moshe hit the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, because he wants the whole, all the miracle here. Why did Moshe hit the rock? Moshe knew that if he will speak to the rock and the rock will give water, all the lefties, Bernie Sanders, Jack Schumers, Bennett, Gidon Sela, Avigdor Lieberman, Yair Lapid, and all the other Reshaim, Shem Reshaim Irkav, Shif, Adam Shif, you know, Pelosi is not Jewish, no? So how, she, so how she became like this? <laughs> Usually it's all these liberal Erev Rav, Jews. What's his name? Zuckerman was one of them. They all came to Moshe Rabbeinu in their other Gilgul, all these Erev Rav Reshaim. And they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say to him, you claim that you can get water out of the rock by speaking to a rock? We know your tricks. We went to university. He cannot fool us. You want to prove your point? Talk to this rock. For you it's the same thing, no? If it's a miracle, it's a miracle. Let's see you getting us water from this rock. And Moshe thought, what's this rock? And what's this rock for Hashem? Hashem told me that rock. But what's the big deal? I'll get them water from this rock. So when he came to the other rock, he started to think. If I'll speak to the rock and the rock will give water, the Satan will use this against the nation of Israel for eternity. The rock, the, the rabbi say to the rock, give water. The rock say, yes, rabbi. You come to the liberal Jews and you say, the rabbi say, you have to do it. Who cares? I'm a professor. I'm a doctor. Who is the rabbi to tell me what to do? I build this shul. Everyone with his ego. I have a degree. What do you think? The rabbi is going to tell me what to do? Who is Rav Chaim Kanievsky to tell me to take vaccine? I'm a scientist. 
That's how they talk. With their little leather quarter yamaka on their head. Yoravam ben Navad, Bennet. Bennet, Ben Navad, Bidiuk. Ben Navat Amardut, that's what he is. So, what happened in the end? Moshe said, I hit the rack. First, Moshe spoke to the rack. The rack does not perform. Everyone laughed. Shumer, Adam Schiff, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders was so happy. Sitting with his gloves on the chair like this. <laughs> Yair Lapid came. Nice to meet you, Bernie. Hi, what? You see? This fanatic rabbi is fooling us. Moshe hit the rock, two drops came out. Tuck. Tuck. A little bit. And he gave another one, and then boom, the Niagara Falls opened up. And they all got silence. Shocked. Oh, look at this. Water. One minute they were laughing. And that, this, that second Hashem decreed that Moshe and Aaron will not enter Israel. Why? Because they did Chilul Hashem. I want to ask you, please, come on. Help me out here. What Chilul Hashem they did? Moshe gave his life for Hashem. Everything he ever did was for Hashem. Include this. Nobody denies it. Moshe's intention one was, let me block the mouth of these liberal, lefty, wicked, garbage people that always resist. Once for all, they want water from here, we'll get them from here. Moshe got any benefits from it? What, what benefit he got from it? It's not that he wanted some money, so he decided, let's do it here, because over here I'm going to make more. No. But the one minute, Hashem, even if you meant well, it's so severe. And Hashem did not forgive about it. Even if he doubled 515 times, shook the heavens. Hashem said, enough. Don't continue because I cannot let you enter the land. I made a decree. The question is, what did Aaron do, poor Aaron? He didn't do anything. He was just standing there. And Aaron also got punished. The answer is, why when Moshe hit the rock, the water did not come out in the first time, only a little bit? And then the second time, everything came out. Why? Anyway, he already made the sin. He hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. That's it. The sin was done. Why do you need to do it twice? The answer is, after he hit the rock once, Aaron was supposed to protest. Stop. What are you doing? Hashem said to speak to the rock. Why are you hitting the rock? If Aaron would do that, he would not be punished at all. So Hashem gave Aaron a chance. When Moshe hit the rock first time, Aaron wasn't ready for it. Now when he was about to do it for the second time, Aaron should have held the stick and said to him, Hey, brother, calm down. We're going against Hashem here. Stick to the instructions. And if Moshe would still do it, then Moshe would be the only one who get punished. From here you see why so many religious people died in the Holocaust. What's the connection? 
Most of the people who died in the Holocaust were Mechalelei Shabbat. In Germany, almost 80% were Meri Goyim. There was no Orthodox people. There was not one kosher minyander. Austria, all these places. But in Poland, there was a lot of Hasidim. And some other countries, there were a lot of religious people. But they killed the religious people just as bad they killed the secular people. The question is why? If the Holocaust was a punishment to the wicked people who married the Goyim and stopped keeping Shabbat and ate Trefot and changed the Sidur from Yerushalayim to Berlin and they became fully Goyim, then we understand why Hashem got so angry. But why would he have to kill more than a million Hasidim? Exactly. One of the Mefarshim say, the reason is, there's many different reasons, but that's one of them that because when you are religious and people around you are not, you have an obligation to give your life to turn them to become religious. If you don't do it, Hashem is holding you guilty for their sins. If your neighbor is Mechalel Shabbat and he likes you and he sometimes walks into your apartment for Kiddush, and you never try to make him stop being Mechalel Shabbat, if you would have tried and failed, you're not guilty. I tried. So today, I already gave you the solution. Since none, most people are not expert in speaking, they don't really know how to convince and to prove. Today Hashem gave us a very easy way to rebuke. Here is a book. Look, Rabbi Mizrahi made a book answers to all your questions. Preparation for eternal life. My next book will be ready in a month. Divine information. Either one of them will do the job. Here. Read it, please. CD. USB with 2,000 hours of lectures. Here you go. I bought you a gift. Please connect it in your car. Give it a chance a day or two. Come on, brother. Do it for your own soul. That's it. Don't have to do anything more than that. First lecture come, Torah and science, all the proofs. After hearing Torah and science, I promise you, every person will already know there is a God. He gave us the Torah. We are the chosen people. Life is not a picnic. You have to follow the commandments, and there's life after death, and there's reward and punishment. That's all you need to know. There's nothing else you need to know in order for you to start your journey. You need to know there is a God. He runs the world, the show. He gave us Torah. Torah means instructions. The Torah is full of commandments. You should do and you should not do. And there is reward and punishment based on your performance. And there's life after death. The soul will be separated from the body and go to a spiritual world and will be either punished or rewarded based on what your choices were. That's all. Once you know that concept, which just took me two minutes to explain, after that, there is no more excuses. He cannot come to Hashem and say, oh, what do you expect? I grew up in Manhattan. Oh, I grew up in Harlem. Oh, I grew up in the kibbutz. Oh, I grew up in Tel Aviv with all the gays. How would I know this? You watch Torah and science, or you heard it? No more excuses. Why? You know all the truth. Now come and learn. You know the basics. That's how you rebuke someone by spending a dollar. How many secular people a month you come across with? 50? 100? 200? 
from your master money, have a bunch of Torah and science or the purpose of life, every one of them you see, oh, I have a gift for you. It takes 10 seconds. Here, what's that? That's how it goes. Normally, that's how it goes. Hi, Itzik, how are you? I got you, I got you a gift. What's that? Amazing film. You will love it. Uh, no, 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 watch it. Watch 10 minutes, see if it's good or not. Tell me. No, no, I don't have time. Trust me. It's the nicest thing you will ever watch. Who, who is this? Tell me. Don't ask questions. Just watch it. After 10 minutes, you don't like it? Throw it away. You got him curious. 98 out of 100 will watch. And put it in when no one watch. Uh, he said to his wife, the lefty, uh, Rachel, are you going to the supermarket in 10 minutes? Hurry up, they close soon. <laughs> he puts it in a DVD. Torah and science. In this lecture, we're going to prove, one, there is a God, two, he runs the world, scientific proof. All of a sudden, he hears someone is coming close to the door. Where's the remote? God forbid his wife will catch him watching Torah. Imagine. But what do you care? You did what you had to do. Books, if you get more than 50 books, you pay only $10 a book. 50% off. What do, you, what do you want? $10 from your master. Here, read a book. Not everyone has patience for book. Either you give him a book, or a USB, or a CD. You can also send link, but link usually nobody will open. From experience, I learned over the years that when you hand someone something physical in his hand, something in the brain made him treat it with more respect. You're right. Logically, it should have been the same exact results. Check how many people will open the link you send them and how many people will put it to watch or to listen in a car. A lot more would listen when you actually hand them something, especially if you use the words, I got you a gift. You can put order for the new books. They'll be ready in two weeks in a printing house, two more weeks to ship them. In a month, they'll be here. Same price? Same price, yeah. All the future generations wouldn't mean anything. Right, 100%. Once you said you put the seed in the ground, the tree will continue to bring results every year. Same thing, once you make machloket, disagreement, challenging the leader, that's already a precedent to the generations to come. The stone, the stone caused it. This one, this, this machloket. So, for one minute, Chilul Hashem, the greatest person ever lived, lost the dream of his life. After 40 years of being such a righteous person, with devotion, with love of Hashem, and is the Torah name after him, and in the end, he got punished not to enter the land because of one minute Chilul Hashem, while he actually meant to do a mitzvah. Never in his mind he would think to do something against Hashem. And that's the price he paid. Just think what's going to be with us. 
That's what Rabbi Akiva told the Roman who was cutting his skin and make lines of blood. And he said to him, the Goy, the, the Nazi Goy, where is your God? If you, the rabbi of the Jews, and everyone admire you, you're such a holy man, how come he's not helping you? And Rabbi Akiva told him, I that gave all my life to God to follow his laws and never move away from it, for the little bad I did in my life, look what kind of punishments I get. You! What's waiting for you? I, you can count on one hand what did I do wrong from the minute I became a tzaddik. When did Rabbi Akiva made this? All his life learned Torah. But for the little he possibly did, he got such an end. Imagine what's going to happen to the one who cut him to pieces. What's going to be his end? Imagine what's going to be the end of all these infidels that took over the government. It breaks the heart. How the Arab sits in the Knesset with the hammer. He's the Yoshev Rosh Knesset. A Muslim brother terrorist. Sitting in Israeli government with the hammer. He decides which one will sit in and throw him out. Guards! Throw him out! He doesn't respect me. An Arab terrorist. And today one of the people told him, you got 53 billion shekel, you made the deal of your life. You have to see how he smiled. He said, Bennett and Lapid gave you 53 billion shekel. It's more than the entire budget of the Israeli army, what you got. The whole army doesn't have a budget of 53 billion shekel. And he said, Lapid and Bennett did not give us this gift. The state of Israel did. <laughs> you understand what lefties are? What cancer they are in a society? Israel is full of posters on bus stops now. First week on a job. They flooded Israel with posters. Two men kiss each other on the mouth. Big, huge, huge poster. Two big heads kissing each other on the mouth. And they wrote on a poster, if this poster was not ripped yet, that means we finally made one step progress. Meaning, finally people becoming sodomites. That's our dream. That's Israel now, Rabotai. Here you go. I don't think in America they would dare to put such a poster. Not that here you have less gays. They haven't? No. San Francisco, San Francisco made a law that in my opinion will make the state of San Francisco bankrupt completely in a year or two, but it will also do something else. It will clean all the criminals from the other state. They will all move to San Francisco. I tell you why. When I was in Denver, Colorado, the person who drove me from the airport or to the airport, he told me, you know, one million people moved to Denver in the last year from America. I said, why? So Denver is the most developing place in, uh, in America. I said, why? I said, they legalized grass. All the drug addicts, 
they want to go on the street and smoke their drugs without getting scared. So they're all moving now there to Denver. Now they made a law in San Francisco, everyone who go into a store, he can steal up to $950 in goods without being a criminal. It's allowed. They cannot arrest you, they cannot do anything to you. You know what happened first day? All the criminals, they went to supermarket in front of a security guard, in, front, in his face, and <laughs> walks out. So I'm thinking there's a lot of drug addicts here, a lot of people who live by stealing. Now they don't have to steal anymore. It's legal. All they have to do is to move to Sodom. Remember, I'm the first one who called San Francisco Sodom 25 years ago. California? In San Francisco. Is that California? Yeah. Uh, okay. So all the junkies, and all the people who love riots and to rob stores, all they have to do is to move to San Francisco. You make $5,000 a day. Maybe that's a shelf spot. Can go to Wikipedia. Maybe. And, and then one day make an earthquake and take all of them to hell. Yes, that's possible. Everything happens as a reason. We not always see the reason. But one thing I can tell you, imagine you're a drug addict. And all day you have to think, how do I steal $50 here? How do I steal there? I stand by the gas station collecting money. Why do I need this horrible life? I'll move to San Francisco. I walk from one supermarket to the other with my bag. 900, move to the next door. 900, move to the next door. 900. American politician. Jack Schumer, the genius. All the stores going to close. That's why they go bankrupt. There will not be store, no sales tax, no income, no income tax. All the stores will be vacant and San Francisco will be a gathering of all the criminal lowlifes. And then the earthquake will come and Hashem will send them express to Korach and the other lefties. But until it happens, we have to go back to our sad reality. Who's controlling us? Wicked clown that hates Torah, hates God, hates holiness, hates ethics, hates moral uh, conduct. <laughs> yes? What can we do? It is what it is. In the end, it will be good. The question is when. Very likely... That what the Zohar said that the Arabs will control us nine months before the Mashiach would come, very likely, I don't know for sure, but very likely that that's what they meant. For the first time in the history of the world, Arabs are in a government who control Jews, sitting in the Knesset. Arabs from the Muslim brothers run Israel now. One of the politicians spoke today, I like him, he speaks very good, uh, Amsalem his name. Google him, Amsalem. He's a traditional guy, but he knows how to talk. Sometimes a person really knows how to talk, he knows how to talk. So he said to the Arab, Mansur, you are the prime minister, not Bennett. Because Bennett wants to sneeze, he asks you permission. Mansur, you allow me to sneeze? How much more money you want to stay in the government? And the Arabs smile like this. <laughs> it's true. Five 
טרוריסט took over Israel. But today I saw something amazing, amazing. One other guy from the Likud also knows how to talk. I don't remember his name, yeah. Levin, Levin. Levin said to him, Mansur, congratulations. Thank to you. They hung the flag of all the filthy gays in the minister of foreign uh, in Israel. Lapid, Shem Reshaim Irkav, first thing he did coming to the office, put their flag. And these Arabs say before they joined the government, yes. we're only joining the government on one condition. What is it? Okay. That you do not promote any gay rights. Sign. The Arab murderers preaching to the Erev Rav garbage Jews. We're, we're willing to be a partner in the destruction of Israel, but we have red lines. As much as we want to take over Israel, as much as we want to control Israel, we still have one condition. Do not push this garbage abomination in our face. We don't want this. They, the murderers, the, the Muslim brothers, I don't have to tell you who the Muslim brothers are. It's Hamas, Hezbollah, Jihad, the same thing. Do you understand the joke here? This is the saddest joke ever. Imagine Hitler preaching to us ethics. Imagine. Imagine Hitler would come to say, shame on you, 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 you filthy people. And he will give us a list of things that we do wrong and we have to learn ethics from this monster. How would you feel? That's what's happening right now. People with the same agenda, same ideology to assassin all Jews. They're not hiding it. They say it out loud and clear. They're preaching to us, you are too filthy and too dirty. We will help you to destroy Israel because it's our interest. But don't drag us to your abomination garbage. It's against God. We don't want it. You understand, Rabotai? Now do you understand where we are or no? From here we have only one direction to go up because we cannot go any more lower. We must wake up. That's why now more than ever before, Kiruv is the goal. Invest all your money in Kiruv. Soon no money will be left anyway. The only money you take with you to the next world, the eternal world, is the money you invested in Kiruv. I told uh, Chaim, the donation now in the last four weeks went almost to nothing. I don't know why. What happened in the last four weeks? What happened? People ran out of money? No. Yes. They're all in the summer, in vacation as usual, in camps. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's because I don't talk about it often enough. People need reminders. I don't know. It's time to wake up, Rabotai. Every soul we save... In the end, that's why we're going to be able to brag on. That's it. Nothing else. Thanks to me, such and such Jews got saved and got close to Hashem. If Goim understand it and some of them send money, please use it to save Jewish souls, Goim, from all over the world. What Jew can claim he didn't understand the concept? They woke up? What, to donate? Oh, so you, so you remember to take an envelope out. Baruch Hashem, with the envelope, we're not going to be able to build uh, Jerusalem, you know. 
we, we have thousands of thousands of people every day we have to approach. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen and Amen. Rabbi Hananiah Ben.